Holy crap on a cracker. That was a good one, man. <laughs> Did you see me spray all across the room over here? No, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was focusing on mine to make sure it did not explode. Like oh, yeah. they tend to for me. Mine was like projectile targeted that way. It just went. Whoosh. Sounds like we need case a you're slow wondering. motion playback. Oh, maybe. But like. I could arrange for that. Maybe. <laughs> all right. So before you're wondering what kind of podcast you join where I talk about spraying stuff, uh, welcome to Movie Boners, <laughs> but, which is worse, actually. <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> I just made the connection in my head. Uh, that might well. be my favorite intro we've ever done. <laughs> uh, cheers, Jake. Cheers. <laughs> cheers to you. Uh, what beer are you drinking for today's episode? Oh, it did spray a little bit. Okay. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> Let me tell you. You don't got to tell us, Jake. You don't got to tell us. <laughs> you can just assume. All right. So I, I go to the liquor store with like, I have a clear idea of whether it's the image on the can or some kind of silly name to go along sure. with tonight with, with the episode, right? Mm -hmm. Can't find shit. Of yeah. anything in mind that I had, and I was like, "But it'd be so good!" But there's nothing. <laughs> um, and then it's the saddest connection I think I've ever made. <laughs> That's saying something because you've had some terrible. I've had some terrible. Ones. I mean, I so to, maybe I, I should. To, but... <laughs> I'll I'll take a step back from that one. It's not the saddest, okay. but it's it's sad. Um, instead of you know, Blade Runner. Which sounds so mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. I found a beer called Trail Runner. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually shockingly closer than I thought it would be. And I was like, I guess that's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's definitely good. You, I don't fault you for that. All right. I appreciate that. What is it? How is it? What's going uh, on? Give me the whole scoop. Hold on. He's tasting it. Swishing it around his mouth. Oh, you don't swish like beer. Like a sommelier. Oh. Well, you know. It's okay. All the bubbles. It's okay. It's a it's a golden ale. Um, made right here in uh, in the place that I live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Being cagey about it all of a sudden. <laughs> it's made here in Cedar Park. It's not bad. It's a golden ale, so it's already kind of like I knew what I was getting. They're not my favorite mm -hmm. kind of beers, but yeah, it's hard to make them really stand out. We'll, uh... <laughs> yeah, soldier on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, mine, I also like you planned on the very specific aesthetic that Blade Runner has, mm -hmm. and I didn't find anything like that. I was kind of shocked. Ah, feel see, like, like everybody should knock that off or whatever, but. Because it is heralded as one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time, I went with this one called Space Goat, as in greatest of all time. It's a. It, it also reminds me of Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, which was an Adult Swim show that was hilarious. Dude, Space Ghost was great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's from the Big Sky Brewing Company in Montana, Ooh. USA. And it's a pale ale, just a normal old pale ale, and it's, it's pretty good. All right, I will give them that. Yeah. Um, I know I'm the last person 
to probably point this out considering some of the past beers I've had that have nothing to do with the episodes. <laughs> uh, but they're not in space, but they're not in space. Shut the fuck up. Those <laughs> replicants are in space. They come from Mars. They, it's about colonization of other planets. They are sent Earth. to help colonize other planets. But then we've got yeah. this group, the Nexus six that come back, yeah, but they came from space. They went to space. They came back from space. We're trying to leave Earth to go to space. It's a whole thing. It fits. It is. I'm not judging. I just felt like I. You're I, judging. I'm really not. Mine is called it Trail Runner. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> you have fifty percent of the movie name in your <laughs> matches <do>. matches completely. Fifty <laughs> percent matches hundred percent. So I think you're all right. All right. All right. I've had some right, doozies, though, so I can't judge. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right. uh, okay, so let's, before we get too far away from it, check in on the old movie draft. God. Let me share my dang screen over here. <laughs> and I will say, you are just making me feel the heat a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and be a little honest. Drop the whole heel shtick i've been doing and the margin between us and the imdb rating how are is your ratings still point. so high i've got like some of the highest rated movies of the year yes you have the two highest rated movies of the year between oppenheimer and spider-man which coincidentally are like the 15th and 22nd highest rated movies of all time on imdb right now right um which is a big deal the interesting thing, you've definitely been catching up. Um, you had a dip here, and then that's when um, Spider-Man came out, mm -hmm. and everything's been rising since. Of the last like seven movies over the last two months, not counting Insidious, um, they've all been raising your average. Yeah. So that has certainly helped. Although Haunted Mansion came out today, and when we're recording this, and uh, that's going to knock your average down a little bit. <laughs> right. I've been, I mean, hanging on more or less. I didn't have a lot come out in uh, July. You definitely owned July. I had just Barbie, um, but, but I have a but lot. Barbie helps you so. a lot. Barbie is killing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the box office side. Uh, it's doing very well. Yeah. And yeah, I would say rating wise better than I expected. I expected maybe a, seven yeah. six point seven somewhere in that range um it's definitely very good seems like so i am not complaining so <laughs> yeah rating <laughs> rating we're extremely close box office we're closer than we've been in a long time um mm -hmm. i definitely think this year overall the box office will be higher than last year since we kind of leveled out third quarter of last year right about um, here yeah yeah, I think we're going to keep going up with what we've got going on in August. All right. So, yeah, uh, that's the draft. Uh, you're definitely doing very well. Your number one pick overall, Mission Impossible, is doing very well. Although, mm -hmm. box office-wise, it's like half of what Fallout did, which is surprising, I would say. I think I, I have a theory on that. Uh, yeah. I think it really is the timing of the release. I think, yeah, I think it got completely lost in the shuffle of the whole Barbie Heimer thing. 
that yes. was really big going around. Everyone was really only anticipating Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, mm-hmm. And I really do think it just got lost in the shuffle of yeah. the trending, which sucks. It's a, it's a movie that was announced like four years ago that we've been waiting for forever yeah. and for it to come out and uh, kind of get missed. Yeah. Is, uh, that's unfortunate for sure. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And Oppenheimer is fantastic. Apparently, um, I know you have seen it. Yes. So we'll hear about that in a second. I see it tomorrow, okay. the day after we're recording this. So I don't have an update yet. But next time, I definitely will. All right. All right. And uh, yeah. Oh, another slight draft update. Dates have been moving. Um, you are uh, are you clenching because you've got a couple that they've yes. been like we might not release these at all this year yeah the very first one i saw was the worst possible one yep. which was D- warner brothers said or i think it was uh vanity fair or somebody had an article that said warner brothers is considering moving out dune part two and aquaman and something else color purple maybe yeah yeah it was color purple. and uh <clears throat> so yeah that made me very sad to hear although i read just today from the CEO of IMAX, um, they had an earnings call and they said, I'm pretty confident Dune will come out uh, this year. I think that Vanity Fair article was bogus. Okay. Um, and <laughs> James Wan, did you see what James Wan said about Aquaman? No. It's like, if, if Warner Brothers moves Aquaman out again, I will sue them. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those are safe, but... Uh, the color purple, oh, no, not the color purple, um, Harold and the Purple Crayon, the other purple movie this year. Mm-hmm. Harold and the Purple Crayon moved to next year, which was one of mine. They Listen, which I don't think either of us remember what that even is. Nope. That moved out to next year. Not even a little bit. Completely forgot about it. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife moved to next year. Shit. And uh, True Love, which I also don't remember what that is, moved to next year. What the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, dropped a handful there. All right. Uh, and but and the Saw X moved up, moved up, yeah. It's in September now, which I don't know if that means they're extremely confident they don't need Halloween in order to sell tickets, or if they're extremely worried that The Exorcist came out like two weeks before them or whatever, a week before them. I think it's getting get moved so it. that Exorcist can have its moment, yeah, yeah. I was chatting with somebody on Instagram and I was like, I don't think I even remember Saw six seven or eight and so i should rewatch the whole series i'm kind of i don't want to admit it but i'm a little excited for saw x actually i know you are you love the saw franchise <laughs> i do i do i was very disappointed by spiral and i really hope it gets back to uh the jigsaw yeah, spiral kind of bringing it back spiral had a lot of good like potential and it just didn't do anything with it it was really disappointing yeah, I agree. Well, what uh, new movies have you watched, Jake? I've watched a handful of things. Okay. I watched a documentary. Oh. This is going to be... I, probably nobody in the world cares about this. But there's a documentary that came out called um, Attack of the Dock. And if you were like me and you watched Tech TV as a kid and then remember when Tech TV got bought by G4... And it was a, like the first T 
TV network that had like video games and oh, internet videos yeah, yeah. and all I know that stuff. What show or channel? Yeah, I know. Yeah, their like headline show was Attack of the Show, and uh, Olivia Munn was a host on it when she was a nobody, and uh, it was really really good. Anyway, Chris Gore, one of the guys that was used to be on that show sometimes, and he made a documentary about like how its rise and fall of that show and the whole network basically and kind of how they were able to get away with all these different things before the internet age and leading into the internet age and all this stuff. It was really good. It was kind of a nostalgia thing. Oh, cool. I, uh, cool. I don't know if it would appeal to general audiences, but I really liked it. Um, speaking of nostalgia things though, I watched the, another docu. It's not a real documentary. I guess it kind of is. It's a series on Netflix called muscles and mayhem. Okay. The unauthorized story of American gladiators. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> if you watched American Gladiators in the 90s and dug it like I did, it was really cool to see all of the gladiators talk about what it was like and getting that show off the ground. And it reminded me a lot of, um, especially in the beginning, it reminded me a lot of Glow, okay. that res wrestling show um, with Allison Brie, where they're just like trying to find a network, trying to find someone to pick them up kind of doing these events in the shittiest possible circumstances and uh, very dangerous and all this stuff. And then going to be on to become celebrities and all this interesting stuff. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why it's an unauthorized story because pretty much everybody involved in making it, all of the main gladiators, producers, directors, everybody, stunt coordinators, they were all giving interviews and stuff. So it seems pretty in depth. I really thought it was interesting. Hmm. All right. Uh, <clears throat> I'm close to finishing season four of Succession. Okay. I have a couple episodes left, <laughs> so I will not give you an update until I finish that. Uh, I did watch, as far as movies, my only good movie that wasn't the movie that we're talking about today is uh, I watched Nope, finally. You haven't from... seen that? <laughs> I never got around to seeing oh. Nope. I have a backlog of movies from like 2021, 2022. And uh, what year are we in? 2023? Yeah, yeah, okay. 23. I, I had a panic attack where I was like, are we in 2024? Am I not that far behind? <laughs> no. So, yeah, Nope was good. I definitely thought it was uh, pretty cool. I think I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it I really, was different and interesting, I, for sure. Yeah, I really thought it was a... It was a nice, fresh take on Aliens. It was a nice, mm -hmm. like... It's unique. The design of the alien I thought was really cool. The idea of the alien was really cool. Uh, yeah. I meet more people that thought it sucked than I meet people that enjoyed it. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I thought it was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I, th I like the alien in it. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. I think that, uh, yeah. And I liked the overall, I guess, just story and yeah. The characters and i liked i liked the whole thing it was good yeah definitely yeah. for sure uh that's all for me oh okay what about you uh i really only watched three new movies one i don't think anyone has even heard of and then two everyone has heard of <laughs> um so i watched this weird movie on netflix called the strays this was one of those okay. where i had come across an article that popped up on like one of my I think it was Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. And it was like, this movie is making audiences so queasy and uneasy to watch this. It's making people so nervous. Uh, 
is like a horror movie. It, it, yeah, like a thriller. And so me being me was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, bet. Yeah, it sucked. It's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's got a good premise, and it's just so dumb. Not executed. Well. No. And there's so many. It's one of those movies. It was really frustrating because it's like every 15, 20 minutes of this two hour movie, you're like, shit, you could throw. This is one of those like you could have like six twists <laughs> and it would just yeah. make it so incredible. And every time you're like, here, this is a good spot for one. There's got to be a jaw dropping moment. Mm-hmm. You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what's the premise uh this woman she's like she's uh the superintendent of the school her two kids go to the school with her and she's like kind of rich she's high lifestyle like hoity-toity kind of shit and uh these two strangers kind of quietly and subtly start like showing up all the time around her they show up in the school and they're like freaking her out. She kind of starts like having these weird mental breakdowns. So there was so much to it that could be really cool and really fun for a thriller right. movie, especially. And by the time the end credits rolled, the final scene of the movie, I was like, this might be the dumbest goddamn movie I've ever. Like, it made me <laughs> mad how it ended because it was just like. <sighs> you, I would have given you grace if you just like, uh, I guess we just shit the bed on this one. But the ending of that yeah. movie was like, you deliberately were just like, you know what? We didn't make this movie shitty enough. Mm-hmm. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, I hate that when <laughs> the audience does a better job of writing the movie than the actual movie, movie makers did. Yeah. yeah, that's even a movie that seems pretty good. If I go home and someone's like, they should have just done this, that will ruin it for me. Because I'm like, yeah, that would have been way better. I can't believe they didn't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> You're just like, God damn it. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really is. And then I saw Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part okay. one. I am very sad that it's gotten lost in the the hype over Barbie and Oppenheimer and nothing against either one of those movies, but I am sad. I kind of feel like Tom Cruise was right on yeah. trying to change release dates because even he's been like, eh, you know, I had nothing to do with, I just don't want those movies to come out right. like in a malicious way. He's, he was literally like, we've been working on this movie for the audience. It has Hollywood's like most dangerous, <laughs> incredible stunt ever put on camera. Mm-hmm. He was literally trying to just be like, we just want the world to watch our movie. <laughs> like, right. Right. Just put it out. There. And it was, it really is incredible. I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It does a few new things for the mission impossible franchise. Okay. But the new things didn't bother me. Um, it's definitely the most, there's scenes in it that feel the most James Bondsy, and I had to chuckle to myself while watching it because you and I had just yeah. talked about <laughs> that the Mission Impossible franchise like has a James Bond feel, but it's a little yeah. skewed. This one has right. There's spies with gadgets. Yeah, this one definitely stuff. has a few moments where you're like, "This is total James Bond," but not yeah. in a bad way. I didn't take it as a bad way. 
but the humor is okay. great in it. The action is incredible in it. The stunts are amazing. Yeah, that bike jump is just when you watch that on the big <laughs> screen, it's just unreal. It's incredible. Nice. Um, and then I saw Oppenheimer, and I went during the the Barbie Oppenheimer uh, craze craze weekend. This was incredible, Jake, dude. <laughs> so my daughter got picked up, and I went to the movie after she got picked up by her mom. Uh, <laughs> Cause she was like, I don't know that I want to see Oppenheimer dad. And I was like, all right, I'm yeah. going to go watch it. But she did tell me, she was like, please though, tell me how it is. And I think yeah. my daughter wants to watch it now. Um, mm -hmm. But so I go to the theater, dude, the place was fucking packed. The parking lot was full. The lobby was loud with everyone walking mm -hmm. around, talking, excited. It literally, you see it in IMAX. I did not go to the IMAX. No. Yeah, I kind of wish. What's I did, shocking but... to me is how few real IMAX theaters yeah, there are. There's very I few. learned that recently. Very few. Um, I don't think we even have one around here that's like true IMAX. But it was. It reminded me. It was like a time capsule of stepping into those days before you pre-saved your tickets, before everyone had any kind of screaming. <laughs> it was like walking in. There was like that. a line and everything. Oh God, it was madness. I yeah. walked up. I was getting my popcorn and my my water, and that the people at the theater kind of recognize me sometimes because I'm there. <laughs> You're kind of a big deal. I'm kind of there every weekend, so I'm a regular. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a big deal. I'm just the guy that walks in early morning every other Saturday or mm -hmm. every other Sunday late afternoon, early evening. I'm one of those guys, and. Mm -hmm. uh, I walked down and I made my comment because as someone who grew up in that, I miss those days. Yeah. Like they irritated me back then, but God damn, <laughs> I miss that shit. Yeah. And there was so much pink everywhere. I don't think I've ever seen that much <laughs> pink in my life. And I made a comment of just like, it's a madhouse. Like this is crazy, but cool. And the people behind the counter, they did tell me like, Oh, it's been all weekend starting on like thursday pre-screenings people are double featuring Barbie and oppenheimer yeah. which is nuts that's like six hours sitting straight because <laughs> oppenheimer is three and i think barbie yeah. is two maybe just under um yeah i think that's right and then you've got previews and then the in-between time like that is a lot right yeah probably an hour of previews between the two yeah and so i was like i was excited i go and the the theater that I'm in, you know, the screen that I'm in, packed house. I mean, sold out show. I was so happy, so excited. Mm -hmm. There are people like families are showing up with like kids younger than my daughter, kids my daughter's age, older. <laughs> like, and, and I kind of yeah. respected the parents for that because I was like, you clearly know this is like historically <laughs> significant. This guy is kind of a big yeah. deal, and most generations have no idea who the hell he was. Right. And uh, so I respected that there's like all these women dressed in bright neon pink, either being ironic or they had just come from Barbie <laughs> or they were going to go to Barbie yeah. afterwards. I digress. <laughs> they didn't have two outfits planned. No. To that movie. You're seeing it tomorrow, the day after we record. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Tomorrow. Tomorrow around noonish. You will probably when it ended this was 
I mean, it's not like exciting. It is, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It is dialogue driven. It is a historical film. And it is so much to unpack <laughs> that when it, yeah. I mean, the score, Jake, the music is going to floor you. People have, I'm been, excited for that. Yes. People have talked about like the movie isn't sad per se. It's not like overwhelmingly sad or there's not parts that are like really made to make you like cry or whatever, but the music and just the knowledge of, where everything led to. Yeah. Dude, you get chills. There were people crying in the theater with me. My daughter asked me like, did you <laughs> cry? I was like, no, but there's a couple scenes where you definitely feel just this overwhelming feeling of emotion. And yeah, move. It's just, it's intense. It's hard to describe. That movie is a true experience and it's a masterpiece. Uh, I don't say that just as a Nolan fan. It is <laughs> take note filmmaker like when you're <laughs> yeah. allowed to make movies again uh take note it's so amazing uh where would you put it in his maybe it's too early to say yeah it's hard for me times, to say but... that i've seen a lot of people doing like we're ranking the <laughs> nolan films and i don't know if it's just a gut reaction or maybe i'm just a obnoxious nolan fan i don't know <laughs> I don't know that I can rank yeah. his movies like legit. That's how I feel about it. I I've, I've thought about it and I'm like, dude, every one of his movies has like hit me so deep and just blown me away yeah. in different and unique ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I could rank yeah. his films. Yeah. That's how I feel too. As I, I, if I think about one, then I'm like, yeah, that's the best one. And then I'll be like, Oh, but Inception is really good. And Interstellar is really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Memento is really good. Like, I can't choose. I can't choose them. Um, it, Oppenheimer was incredible. It was a real experience. Going to the theater that weekend was an actual experience. And I really, I'm so glad that I got to be there. I did not do the double feature. Um, although my daughter did go and see Barbie with her mom. And apparently it made them both cry. And they're both mm -hmm. like, we love this movie. It's amazing. It's like, all right. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Christy just came back from seeing Barbie as well. And she really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. It made her cry as well. She connected with it for sure. So I thought like, Hey, that's cool. I was glad that my daughter and her mom went and had sought together. Uh, she thought mm -hmm. about having me take her and I would have, but I'm mm -hmm. more happy that she saw it with her mom. I feel like that was probably yeah. a more important thing. But that yeah. weekend was incredible to watch this movie and <laughs> two parts made me laugh. Okay. Neither of which were supposed to be funny. <laughs> okay. So the movie ends and two, it was like theater is silent. No one's mm -hmm. really smiling. No one's talking. It's just, yeah. they're all unpacking. You're processing so much and we're all piling out of the theater. Everyone's somber. Everyone's just like, Ooh, three hours of just like <laughs> there's a lot to process and unpack and just understand mm -hmm. and kind of challenge yourself with a lot of stuff. Nolan challenges you. And when I say you, like, I mean, all of us he challenges the audiences, yeah. modern day audiences with the most basic science question or not even science question. It's just, there's a lot of ethical 
questions brought up and it's not in a preachy pick a side kind of way. It's very personal to you. That's yeah, how I took consider it. this. And, okay. um, but we're all leaving everyone somber and we're walking down the hallway towards the lobby, you know, the exit doors and coming the other way are all the showtimes getting out from like other films like mission impossible, Barbie, <laughs> where everybody's so excited and you could see it everyone smiling and laughing and talking and you could see the exact moment that they would make contact eye contact with us coming out of oppenheimer because their mm -hmm. smiles would go away they would look down <laughs> and you're just like yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing it was incredible i loved it and then the other funny part was they played like three trailers before oppenheimer at the showing i went to yeah. Which I was a little bummed about. I'm not going to lie. I was like, because I had heard there were no trailers. Yeah. And I was hoping for that. I think it's only on 70 millimeter IMAX because the reel is so gigantic. So they okay. don't have space. Yeah. But they only played like three trailers, maybe four. And I had told myself, if they don't play it, amazing. If they do play trailers, this will be weird. This is like the first movie that we won't have Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, and right. Barbie trailer before it. So... <laughs> Yeah, what? I asked Christy, I was like, what trailers did they play? And I'm like trying to think of what's coming out the rest <laughs> right, of the year. Like, and I can't even think of it. I was just, this is going to be crazy. And they played like the, the Killers of the Flower Moon or whatever it's called, mm. which I'm yeah. still on the fence about. I don't even remember the other trailer they played. And then <laughs> this weird trailer kicked in from uh, uh -huh. Bloomhouse and... It's like these two girls are going to school, to Catholic school, the dad's saying bye, and all of a sudden the two girls start acting weird, and they're like crazy and possessed. The doctors are like, we don't know what's going on, and all of a sudden Ellen Burstyn shows up, and she's the mom from the original Exorcist, and they're like, "Okay, have you ever dealt with this before? And she's like, I have. <laughs> And I think it was that time that you started realizing how many people in the theater were realizing what trailer we were seeing for the first time. Mm -hmm. That audience, I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But the audience I was with, myself included, were laughing out loud during the whole Exorcist Believer trailer. That's not good. I Not loved it. I was like, fuck you, David Gordon Green. This is what you've done. No one's <laughs> like, you ruined one franchise. You're apparently yeah. going to attempt to ruin another one with a requel, which we don't need. And uh, it looks right. worse. It looks so bad. Jake, you yeah. have to watch. You this can't trailer. go around requeling all the classic horror movies. Oh, God, it looks so bad. It like, okay. and I'm not just saying this because I'm a little biased. It genuine. I have this whole audience sold out show to back me up yeah. on this one. It looks <laughs> terrible. Like, oh my God, this should go down in just a blazing fire of like, they tried, but really, really shit the bed. Uh, yeah. But I was, I was happy to see this audience not react as the trailer is apparently for trying to force you to react. It looks so bad, yeah. Jake. But, I didn't even know it came out. I'm going to watch the trailer right after this. Oh my God, it looks so stupid. And uh, it did make me think of something. And I think we talked about this back when Scream came out. 
And I think I actually mentioned it during that quick little thing. I'll try to wrap okay. it up because we got oh, a lot okay. to say. Um, yes, yeah, sure. I'm over this requel craze. Yeah. It's done. Like, move on. Right. I'm done with it. Come up with your own fucking <laughs> franchise. Come up with mm-hmm. your own ideas. Stop yeah. trying to piggyback and ruin yeah. existing franchises. It really It's more ballless than a full re- reboot. Like yeah. some reboots, most reboots suck, but at least they were bold enough to actually try, try and do and their own thing. Back. Um yeah. I think the only franchise that can really pull it off is Scream, and that's simply only because it was made as like a meta joke on Flash Yeah, because everybody else had already done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But even that, I, I know I said this when the last scream came out of just like, I think it's time to conclude yeah. it. Like, I think it's okay to leave it be now. Um, right. Obviously, that's not going to happen. I think we do have another one coming out like next year. Didn't they announce one when the scream six came out? There's another scream movie. Yeah. yeah. I did. I thought you were talking about another recall. Oh, no, no. I meant scream. I meant scream. Sorry. Yeah. Um, there is another scream for sure. But yeah, I just, I'm, I'm kind of like, I think I'm done with the requel stuff. And I think mm. David Gordon green is like the big proprietor of that, of just absolutely raping it and destroying it to me. So <laughs> yeah, God, I hope it's the exorcist good. fails so hard. Oh, I hope it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> It'd be great if Sox was incredible and, uh, like a tr- true sequel. I would be down Exorcist for that. Sucks. If Saw X ends up just being this amazing true conclusion to this franchise mm-hmm. or whatever, because they're not even saying like it's completely under wraps. Yeah. Um, if that ends up being amazing and better than like Spiral or Saw 9. Jigsaw, I think. Jigsaw. I think it was called Jigsaw. Okay. Then cool. And if Exorcist fails, I will rejoice. I will, yeah. I will be so happy. Uh, oh God, fucking. <laughs> <sighs> yep, yep. Okay. Well, that is a good place to move yes. on because, like you said, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Like we mentioned last time, this episode is completely spoiling the original Blade Runner. And I didn't say the, the original. Next... There's no remake. <laughs> It's not a remake, but I do think if you talk about Blade Runner now, 2049 was kind of became a a new cult hit. And that's the one that people think of more when you talk about Blade Runner. Okay. I, for a lot of people, I could see that maybe not us that like is like old movie dorks, but at least my wife, when I'm like, hey, I have to watch Blade Runner. She's like, okay, sounds good. Put it on. And I put it on. She's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I was like, it's Blade Runner. We're watching Blade Runner. She's like, no, 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 no. We, I, I thought we were watching 2049. I was like, no, we're watching a Blade Runner. <laughs> so I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to come out with a hot take. Okay. I kind of. Out the gate. I, I kind of agree with them. I think 2049 is actually a better yeah. film. I think it's a better story. I do. And I think it's a better film. I think it's one of the rare occasions where the sequel is better than the original. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 
So I get, but I think that I get the reason. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But I think that the original sets up a lot of interesting things that the sequel expands on. Yeah, it does so a very good job. Necessary. Yeah, and, and I say yeah. that as a fan of Blade Runner, um, mm-hmm. the from the eighties. But yeah, I think twenty forty nine just. I think it's just a better oh, written incredible. story. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. And we'll talk about it next yeah. time. But I agree. And I think primarily because I wasn't originally a big fan of the first Blade Runner. When I saw it, I was like, eh, it's whatever. Partly because it's not a like sci-fi adventure movie like Star Wars. It's very slow. Mm-hmm. And it's also very moody and aesthetic-y and all of this other stuff. And it took me a little while to warm up to it and actually start to love it i think mm-hmm. i'm in the same boat um when i first saw it i was pretty young i didn't care for it i thought it kind of sucked uh and mm-hmm. my dad also kind of thought it sucked like when i watched it he was <laughs> he kind of like made the comment like probably not one of harrison ford's best and i was like what it's harrison ford you hear about this movie all the time <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I kind of agreed with him. I was like, man, this movie just, the pacing was weird. The voiceover is so dumb and it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I just, I don't like this movie. And then <laughs> in high school, when I worked at that video store, that was like after the director's cut had been released. And I never even bothered with the director's cut. Cause I was like, yeah, why would I watch a extended version <laughs> of a movie? I don't like, Right. And then the final cut was released in like what, 07, so a few years later. Yeah. And uh I rewatched it after the final cut came out and I ended up watching the final cut. Okay. And the voiceover was gone. You had the mm-hmm. unicorn was in it and it just the pacing seemed better. Everything mm-hmm. just seemed better with it. It made more sense, which is ironic cuz <laughs> the voiceover was put in the theatrical cut to just blatantly tell you everything going on on screen, but it made the movie not work. (laughs) Right. It is way, way worse. And the movie makes more sense without the voiceover explaining everything to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big part of it. So I, I didn't watch the theatrical cut until I had already been a fan of the movie. Oh, I saw the final cut first because I saw it pretty late and I was like, well, I'll just start with the final cut because I knew Ridley Scott like approved it. It's the only version that he had like full creative control on. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, that's the one. That's the approved artist vision. So I'll just start with that. And even then, it still kind of like took me a while to warm up to it. But then I became a fan and I was like, okay, let's check out the other ones just to see. And I have heard other people say, I love the theatrical cut still. Yeah. Even Christopher Nolan and Guillermo del Toro, they're like, I prefer the theatrical cut, which is kind of interesting. But I think, especially if you started with that version and it moved you or you connected with it in some way, you'll always probably prefer that version. Yeah, I totally, like, teach their own. I just, I couldn't get into that theatrical cut. Couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, we're certainly going to get into spoilers and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but before we do that, we'll talk about the movie in general <laughs> without spoilers. And I think if you have never seen Blade Runner, you should see it. I think it's definitely a great movie worth seeing. 
and I think it can be confusing because there are so many cuts out there. Uh, so we can run them down real quick. It just so you know which one to start with. The difference is for overall. The difference really comes down to like, excuse me, the unicorn to me and the voiceover are the biggest differences in the cuts. Um, yeah, the, the theatrical cut is all voiceover, no unicorn. Uh, I <laughs> I wanted to watch the director's cut in prep for this, but then I was just like, I was reading a little bit about it, and it was like some members of the team slapped the director's cut together. Yeah. And even they were like, this isn't the one that Ridley Scott actually <laughs> wanted. They were like, yeah. we have the unicorn, but the rest of the movie <laughs> is what you already saw. And as yeah. I just, and the unicorn's like a shorter version of it. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause it's already pretty short, pretty short. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing where, so the theatrical cut was created it had really, it's really interesting. If you're a Blade Runner fan, you should watch the Dangerous Days documentary, which is like three and a half hours about the making of the movie. But they go through it all. Um, the original Blade Runner, it is, I mean, it's confusing in the sense that they throw in these sci fi words and replicants and skin jobs and spinners and um, city speak and all this stuff. Um, so they decided last minute basically to throw in the narration to help with that. And it just makes it I I would like I want to like the narration because it is a very film noir detective mm -hmm. story just set in the future. And I like film noir narration, even if it's cheesy, I think it would work. But it just needs to be intentionally part of the story from the beginning. Yep and not come up with rushed at the end and not have any time really spent on writing it. And because you can tell, you can yeah. tell I've watched, I love plenty of movies that have voiceover on it. And the voiceover is like, mm -hmm. yep, this, it helps move the story. It helps you understand mm -hmm. it fits into the movie, the voiceover yeah. on the theatrical cut. You can tell that it was like, Oh shit, we need one more thing. And the studio execs were like, do this. And it's the yeah. worst narration. You can tell Harrison Ford is like, and he called them skin jobs. He was a guy that <laughs> back in the old days. He was days a racist would, cop. Yeah, yeah, he's racist. Like, you can tell Ford was just like reading from the paper and being like, worst writing ever. How many more yeah, of these do I'm I got to do? Contractually obligated. To do <laughs> right. This. Like we do one take and if it sucks, it sucks because Harrison Ford yeah. hated the movie already. So <laughs> yeah, it's a huge. So I, I, the worst part is the climax of the movie because as an audience member, you're invested in the situation. You understand what's going on. You're emotionally aware of everything that you've just seen. And then the narration comes in and literally interrupts your emotion and, and experience and then beats you over the head with the most like over explaining everything that you already totally understand. It's just the worst for, especially for that ending. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would honestly avoid theatrical cut unless you're super curious about it. And the direct, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, and there's plenty of people that actually, like you already said, plenty of people that prefer it and enjoy it. Yeah. That was one they saw. That was the version they fell in love with. They don't care for the rest. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's fine. Yeah, sure. Uh, the uh, other big thing, aside from the narration and the theatrical cut, is that there's a happy ending. Yeah. It's a very kind of forced, joyful ending. Um that the studio obviously forced Ridley Scott to add. And I think Harrison Ford said it feels like it's a scene from a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit at all. So that's, I mean, it's interesting, but you know, it is what it is. And then, so the direct, the director's cut is interesting because they were going to, I guess there was some film festival in San Francisco or some shit. And they had found a Blade Runner reel and they're like looking at it and they're like, Oh, I think this is maybe, an actual director's cut. And so they started playing it and people really enjoyed it. And then they came to find out that it was actually the original work print of mm-hmm. Blade Runner that was unfinished and didn't have Bengala's score at the end. It had like a, it had like a, um, what's that called? Temp track of Planet of the Apes or something. Oh, like that. okay. Oh yeah. And, I remember. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and so and then really Scott they they started like showing it on other theaters and really Scott like disowned it because he's like that's not real and so then Warner Brothers stopped. They got some film archivist to actually work with really Scott to get his notes and put a director's cut together, but really Scott approved it, but he didn't actually do anything with it. So the director cut is out there. It removes the voiceover. It adds a little unicorn scene and remove the happy ending basically. And then the final cut is it it's builds on the director's cut because it is um, really Scott's full vision. He had full creative control over it and it has the original full length unicorn sequence. And then we didn't talk about it, but there's an international cut mm-hmm. or a criterion cut that actually came to the North America, the 10 year anniversary edition, um, which is more violent and has some alternative edits. All of those are added. Uh, from the international theatrical cut into the final cut. Mm-hmm. So which version do you prefer? Is it the final it cut? It is the final cut, yeah. Yeah, it just, I think it's the way to go. It's To me, it has the best pacing. It makes the most sense. It's the most mm-hmm. interesting. Um, yeah, I just... I I have to give it a lot of credit because that was also the version that made me kind of like become a fan of the movie considering the first time I saw it, I've, I was with my dad. I don't think my dad's ever watched the final cut. I think he still uh-huh. has only ever seen that theatrical cut or the TV. Edit he still hates Blade Runner and still doesn't think it's that great. He doesn't hate it. Yeah, uh, I just don't think he thinks it's like, yay! All it's cracked up to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that may have changed. Him and I haven't talked about Blade Runner in a long time. That may have changed, but. I just remember growing up, he was like, yeah, that one's not the best one. (laughs) Yeah. And and a movie being slow, even when I was younger, I've enjoyed plenty of slow paced films. So Mm -hmm. I've never been one that like worries too much about a a movie being slow moving or being patient. I actually think some movies should be way more patient than they are. Right. Uh, and I've just, 
even as a kid, it's kind of weird knowing, like, even as a kid, I liked some slow films because kids are supposed mm-hmm. to want all the flash and everything right away. <laughs> I still like that. I was just weird. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. But Blade Runner just, yeah, it's all about that final cut for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And it's interesting that, I mean, the theatrical cut obviously had problems when it first came out in 1982, it flopped yeah. basically budget of 30 million, not including marketing. And it only made under 42 million. And I kind of get it. I mean, it's very niche sci-fi mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think I've seen a trailer for it. So maybe it was even marketed as more actiony than it really is. I could see uh, it. I, I mean, you look at any image used for it. It's always him running on top of the cars, you know, with yeah. the rain, his gun is always drawn and yeah. you're like, that's one scene. <laughs> yeah, literally. In the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. It also came out the same day as the thing and the same month as ET. I think ET owned that. Somehow, oh, 100%. Probably. And also the same month as Star Trek, Wrath of Khan and Conan the Barbarian. It was kind of a yeah, packed it was, month. It's almost like it was destined not to, to be successful when it first came out. It's definitely become very successful since. Yeah. Um, but I think it was mixed with the wrong bag of other films that were full of like the excitement and just then, you know, the thing, yeah. the thing actually is kind of slow as well, but it's so interesting. Yeah. Cause it's the isolation. you got a monster that you never actually see the real <laughs> form of it. You see it, mm-hmm. you know, fucking with other forms, but I think the thing also failed at the box office and later went on to become a cult classic and then consider one of the best movies of all time, like Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. But trying to go up, I mean, how do you compete against Star Trek, especially Wrath of Khan? Because that movie from the get go has been regarded as like, this is the shining Star Trek moment, period. No one's ever going to get near it. You're never going to top it. Yeah. Um, E.T., you're not going to top E.T. That movie took no. the world by storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it it definitely had its issues early on, but I think it living on and to become one of the most rented movies of all mm-hmm. time, I think that's led to it becoming one of the first movies that they released on DVD is because on VHS it was kind of a hit yeah. in the rental space. And people started finding it and loving it. And uh, so I, I I, definitely like it a lot now. It's one of those movies that I, you can kind of just put on and enjoy. And I talked about it in the score, top 10 scores episode we did recently. But you just listen to that synthesizer yeah. um, music. It's very much, like I said before, kind of a, a space film noir movie. And if you replace the saxophone with synthesizer uh, just a slow paced detective story i really really like it now oh yeah <clears throat> yeah after i saw that final cut it, it clicked with me and i i understood to me like being able to understand deckard way more in that final cut and you kind of hear mm-hmm. you have more subtleties to him you're able to just start learning a little more he's got i just yeah i enjoyed it yeah I've never been the biggest fan of like synthesizers and uh, 
in some movies, but there's been a couple movies that it just, you can't imagine a score mm-hmm. without that kind of stuff. And Blade Runner is one of those. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I can't imagine it without that style of music behind it. Mm-hmm. It would just be bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, again, I'm a, I'm a really Scott fan. I, especially considering this is his second major movie after alien. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he had, he did a lot of commercials and things like that, but as far as features go, alien was a huge hit. Then he did this movie. Um, and I, I like the majority of his stuff quite a bit. And so I think it was definitely done well. And then yeah, cast is great as well. And I, I think Harrison Ford, even though most people think of star Wars and this movie came out, uh, he, when they cast him, they were, uh, he was doing Indiana Jones mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, there's an interesting story on the Dangerous Days documentary where they originally envisioned it as like a film noir detective with like a fedora and a hat. And <laughs> he everything. did not want the hat. <laughs> and yeah, they, well, they also had, uh, he had just done Indiana Jones with the hat. And like, you can't have two movies with two different characters with the basically the same look mm-hmm. uh, that people just get so confused. Like, why is Indiana Jones in space? I don't understand. <laughs> Was not in space. He's on Earth as we've established, but it's in the future. At least. <laughs> it's in the future. It's in the future. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Very very good year, I guess. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't want the hat, so he got a a haircut that was like as basic of a haircut as you could get, and that was approved. <laughs> and just like, that's our guy. There's there's Decker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so how you want to go about this? You want to start at the beginning? I mean, we could start at the beginning. There's there's a lot to try and like... Blade Runner has always been interesting to me because it's one of those movies where I know that it's a couple hours long. I know there's a lot that happens in it. But somehow the ending always just kind of like suddenly is there. At least to yeah. me. Where you're like, wait yeah, a minute. I know what you mean he was still just eating noodles at the Chinese place being taken in by Gaff to go and talk to Bryant. He just found Leon and got his ass handed to him. He just interviewed <laughs> right. Like, wait a minute. Why is him and yeah. Roy? Like, why is Roy chasing him already? Um, mm-hmm. It cracks me up every time that I watch that. I don't know. I don't know. We could start at the beginning. I, I kind of cracked up. I, I'm going to be honest. I forgot that they dated the movie and you and I talked about this a <laughs> long time ago on the show. It was like last year, but yeah, was it? I could have, it was when we did our 10 movies set in 2022, I think. Oh shit. Was it? Yeah. Okay. It felt there like was a, a lot longer of, than that. There's a weird amount of movies that dated themselves as being set specifically in 2022 that's right right. and uh we watched all of them so i forgot that blade runner dated itself 2019 Mm -hmm. and so when it showed up you know los angeles 2019 (laughs) instantly i was like yep movies gotta quit dating themselves like a futuristic movie you gotta stop putting a date on yourself and then i thought you know what Maybe you could get away with it 
if your general audience can kind of set it up as like alternate timeline slash universe, like, yeah, <laughs> not current yeah. one because it doesn't work here. Uh, right. It's one thing to be set in like for a movie to come out in 1982 and for them to be like, yeah, this is 37 years in the future. The technology will be, I mean, computer screens will be the exact same, basically, <laughs> but uh, the cars will fly. And so it'll be totally futuristic. Yeah. And then we get there and computer screens are way better and cars don't fly. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> they tried a flying car one time. It failed miserably. So that ain't <laughs> happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No, I do agree. I kind of prefer thinking of that as like, this is just a sci-fi movie in some place at some time. Yeah. And, and it can, parts of it can be futuristic. Parts of it can be old and ancient and, it just kind of works as a general fantasy thing, I think. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to date it. I think the only movie that really gets away with doing that was Back to the Future. Um, but even that's kind of... <laughs> I think that just yeah. writes the innocence of that trilogy so well that people <laughs> like, oh, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Yeah, dude, we can start wherever. Um, I kind of feel... Oh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's there's like two parts that I personally know we will have the most to say during those two parts, because I think one of them will spark a... Well, both should spark interesting discussions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to break the movie down, I... I you kind of have to start from the beginning, right? Yeah. I think that... So I... I have a weird thing where I don't really like movies that open with a scroll. Okay. Crawl or whatever the fuck you call it. So you don't like Unless the... Unless it's Star Wars. You don't like the movie scroll. Yeah. For it to like come up and say, here's what happened. This Tyrell Corporation, they invented replicants. They're a cybergenetic organism that are used as slave labor and <clears throat> off-world and colonies. And uh, they're, they're, we just basically forced them to go to space and explore it for us. And then there's this Nexus 6, which is the most recent, most advanced form of that robot. And they escape and try to come to Earth. And it's illegal and the special police units called Blade Runners have orders to shoot and kill replicants on site if they're on Earth because they're apparently trespassing and not allowed. Um, I'm like, you, I could have figured that out in like five minutes of the movie right, starting. <laughs> well, no, that was an exact you know reading of the actual beginning of the movie. See, I, I don't, I don't mind like movie scrolls. Uh, too much I will say I will skim them <laughs> yeah but I'm kind of a slow reader so I do also either pause it oh or, just to be uh, able to read it um, or have to skim I don't it. hate them I don't think they're necessary half of the time 
Yeah. I just prefer figuring it out myself. Well, and you typically can figure out something on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think the scrolls were always necessary. I know it's a big thing with like science fiction stories or science fiction movies because they're trying to set up the world that you're about to see. Yeah. But I kind of like just being dropped into the world and just like, I have to adapt to this world real quick. I wonder what yeah. what I'm going to have to just like accept as this is a reality there. Unless it's like Jupiter ascending, I refuse to accept <laughs> that kind of reality. Uh, I thought you were going to say I need a lot of information and but, story so I know what the fuck's going on. But, but if it's Jupiter ascending, it's not that I need a lot of like explanation on what's happening in the movie. It's more of, I need to know why anyone thought that was a good idea. Period. <laughs> yeah. Um, I need like a little making of documentary at the bottom of like, how did this even happen? That could really just consist of like the makers just being like, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah. And Channing Tatum being like, I can't believe I fucking air roller skated. <laughs> It looks so bad, but we digress. <laughs> yeah, we digress for sure. If you care about that, we did a whole episode on Jupiter Ascending. It goes about how you would expect. Uh, so the whole, I guess, if we hit the, at least the height points, because I know we're going to talk about in depth about the movie stuff and then also just unrelated conceptual themes See, and I, questions that the movie it's not unrelated but the movie brings up questions and and philosophical things that are worth thinking about and debating i almost probably get sucked into this one took me off guard just because timing of real world things yeah and this movie obviously you and i didn't plan that kind of timing <laughs> no embarrassingly I had the idea for doing the Blade Runner episode because I was like, Barbie's coming out. We should do a Ryan Gosling movie. And Blade Runner 2049 is like his, the most like Ryan Gosling personality movie. So, so I was like, we'll just do that. And then we decided to break it into two parts. And then, yeah, the whole writer's strike and actor's strike came up all about how AI is going to take their jobs. And uh, they took our jobs. And, it made us like pause for sure. Though. I did like, have to pause because I was prepping this deep this dive. Like we've done every other deep dive where I was like, all right, we'll break it down. Like mm -hmm. plot point by plot point, just kind of going in and then diving into like the character drives and all that. Like we normally do. Yeah. And then the strike happened and then details of like what the studios are trying to get away with, with the streaming and then what they're trying to present to the actors with, and writers mm -hmm. um, all involving AI bullshit. I'm not going to lie, Jake. I was like, I feel, I feel like we can't deep dive into this one. Like we typically do. And I could be wrong yeah. and I'm still up for doing it as we typically do. But I definitely felt that like, no, I'm, I, it can go this wherever feels like there's want. more. I was like, this feels like, the kind of this is why I texted you the other night of just like I feel we have to talk about what's happening right now because yeah. this is relevant 
and it fits with the movie, which is funny because Ridley Scott has been very vocal about like, I did not make like an esoteric film. <laughs> it's not a movie with deep meanings. It's not a movie with any of this stuff. It's supposed to be a piece of entertainment. Hate to break mm. it to you, Ridley. Your movie kind of <laughs> has some stuff that is relevant now that you have to look yeah. into. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, even if he didn't mean to just the book it's based on to Android's dream of electric sheep. Yeah. I think tackles all of the same concepts. And I think the movie seems to, I haven't read the book, but from what I've read, it seems to tackle the same subjects. Well, in the sense that it presents are these non-human beings with intelligence and experiences and memories and all the stuff. Are they people? And do they have, does their life have value and does it matter and all this stuff? And, and to what extent are they the same as people and they should, they deserve all of these same things or is there some dividing line between them? And so I, I, that's probably my favorite part of Blade Runner Mm -hmm. is that conversation of, I also enjoy the mystery of, and this may be more of a fan theory or was a fan theory until 2049 came out of is Deckard also a replicant right. or not? Um, and if he is, what does that mean for him and for society and primarily for the audience? Mm-hmm. We think of these replicants and skin jobs as just robots, but they are clearly beings that certainly want to live Robatty is the bad guy. Yes, he kills you know a lot of people. He has good intentions, but he just does it in the most terrible way. Yeah, but if you can look past the killing of twenty six people or whatever it is, um, he just wants to live longer, mm-hmm. and I think that's why he does end up saving Deckard is because he at that moment he wants to he values life. I wish he had learned that a little bit earlier, but that's the general gist that life is sacred, even if it is synthetic, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I think it's open for debate for sure. For sure. Um, AI has become kind of a a trigger for me over the last few years, more so now. Um, I, I am not for AI. I know like at all. It's weird to say this, but we really should have as a society, we really should have listened to James Cameron way more. We should have listened to HG Wells way more. We should have listened to all these guys that have been trying to tell us forever. Right. Like your dependency on technology, your obsession with, making it better, trying to do all this. You keep saying it's for the right reasons, but it never mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park as a whole means of just because you can does not mean you should. And when you do it, you absolutely mm-hmm. should not try to profit off of it and manipulate it and exploit <laughs> it. Yeah. Here we are in 2022 yeah. studios and like, not just Hollywood, but there's a lot of people out there, companies and stuff that are all for like, Mm -hmm. Oh no, we need to just make AI as powerful as possible. It'll take care of us. It'll make life easier for us. Are you 
fucking stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah, I really enjoy the memes that are like, I did not sign up for a future where AI gets to paint and write stories and all this stuff, and human beings have to do all the really hard jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought it would do the opposite. <laughs> but people... I think we are so far, I mean, we are crazy dependent on our technology. Mm -hmm. The obsession, the dependency on it has just become more than an addiction. It's like, I mean, it, I think it's killing us, honestly. Yeah. Um, and the person. Yeah, I think there's. Sorry, go ahead. I think there's a few, a couple of things to that. I think. As human beings, hubris is kind of innately within us, and we mm -hmm. always think we can, even though we've heard all of the warnings, we can handle it. We know what we know the boundaries, and we can put enough things in place, but it never works out. If you've ever seen any movie ever, you know, you know, it, it never works out. I kind of, I think. A dumb way to put this, maybe someone will understand it who just still can't see the the dangers of AI or this craze over our technology. Um, mm -hmm. The dumb way to put it to me as an example for, for it is uh, you go to a party. Let's say you're a young kid. Um, okay. Let's say you just turned 21 you go to a party or you go bar hopping for that first time. Mm -hmm. You go out with this mentality. You've done your, your underage rebellious drinking, right? You've drank your shitty beer. You've done your <laughs> shots of like cheap whiskey that you stole from your parents' liquor cabinet. Cause yeah. you're not going to touch the expensive shit. Your dad is going to notice you steal <laughs> yeah. the shitty cheap stuff. You show up to a party or the bar hopping for the first time. And you flat out announce whether to yourself or you're just trying to brag. I know uh -huh. my limit. I know I can <laughs> handle it. I'm fine. Right. And then you wake up a day later with absolutely no memory <laughs> of anything, but yeah. everything is shattered and you have to right. try and figure out how to pick up the pieces and to make it worse. Yeah. It's not a comedy like the hangover. It's reality <laughs> where you realize as you start figuring stuff out, you have fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out how did I get here? I feel that way constantly whenever I'm <laughs> on social media or on the news or whatever. I'm like, how did we get here? And I, yeah, hubris is a big part of it. I also think just general laziness that human beings have yeah. a, seem to have a drive for let's keep making things easier and easier and easier where I think that we are getting more and more lost as we don't have that meaning in our life of actually doing the hard work. Mm -hmm. And, and, and if you can write a masterpiece novel just by asking, Hey computer, could you please write me this novel? And then it spits it out. There's absolutely zero fulfillment in that compared to right. years and years of crumpling up the papers, throwing them away, actually putting together something you're proud of, whether it's as good or not, it, you will at least feel way, way better and way, way, way more fulfilled in it. Yeah. The laziness, 
in general is upsetting to me. Mm. The laziness with creativity is really upsetting to me because it's like you control your creativity. Absolutely yeah. no one else in the world can control your imagination. It's full, like it is 100% you. Mm-hmm. And to be so lazy and so stupid, like there's no better way. I'm not even going to mince words. Like you're a fucking moron. If you think, yeah, you know what? I'm going to let the, the AI system come up with my story. <laughs> That's so much better. Mm -hmm. I'll just put my name on it at the end. Right. No. It's cheating. It's It's cheating in the worst degree because. You're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You are robbing yourself. You're not even robbing yourself. You are deliberately giving away fulfillment on accomplishing something. Yeah. How pathetic. Yeah. It is really, really, really terrible. And to bring it back to movies and Blade right, Runner right. for a quick second, CGI and special effects is the same thing. Yep. If you have, a, if you make it so easy for a movie to put some unique world, just any world you want on an, in an instant on a green screen and explosions and all this stuff, yeah, you can do that. It'll be crazy and different than anything you've ever seen before because it's you can do different things way way easier but it's not gonna hold up people are gonna notice and even if they don't i just think there's so much value in before you could do that people had like you are saying you had to put in the work to figure out how am i gonna do this how am i gonna accomplish this and get creative in all of the ways like blade runner is the one of the first probably one of the last movies that had no digital cgi effects in it and it was all practical all models all matte paintings if you learn how they do matte paintings and composites in on film like it's not like you just cut it out and drop it into (laughs) the frame it's like no this is a film strip that has a single frame every 24 like of 24 frames every second you have to get it all right they would a lot of the scenes in blade runner is multiple exposures of that same frame of film and sometimes they had to pass over it 12 different times with different effects and lighting and all these different things a matte painting in the background or not and and create just to create a single frame of film and then do that 24 times for a second and then do that for an hour and 50 minutes for the full final <laughs> cut like it's absolutely insane the amount of intention and care that is put into something like this that we just don't have anymore and I, it's not like a nostalgia thing it's like a it actually matters, and I think it matters not just to the people making it, but to the people watching it I, and falling in love with it. I think we are seeing audiences kind of slowly. It's slow. Yeah. But I, I will take the slow at the moment. Obviously, I wish more people would kind of hop on, you know, get a clue. Um, yeah. 
But I think in terms of movies and audiences, I think we are seeing audiences starting to react to movies that are not relying on the CGI stuff. We are seeing the decline in the comic book movie because one, the storytelling has gotten lazy. uh, Mm -hmm. And two, one of the first things, whether it's the MCU or the flash (laughs) calling you out (laughs) flash, uh, the biggest complaints are your CGI is horrendous. Yeah. And I absolutely do not buy Andy Machete's, excuse of it was on purpose no (laughs) your cgi sucked like it looks bad Mm -hmm. stop doing it but i think we are seeing audiences kind of slow and it's a small percentage kind of turning on this idea of relying yeah on the cgi stuff i think people might Mm -hmm. be coming to a mentality of like if you're gonna have that much digital effect in a film you Mm. might as well just make an animated film right and call it a day because animation people are going to respect more Mm. of you just saying no it's animation and it looking Mm. really really good than saying instead of trying to trick us and like (laughs) no this is real life we promise oh it's it's live action and it's like (laughs) 99.9% CGI that you can tell is 99. Not even the paces, (laughs) not even the people's faces anymore are real life. It's Uh, de-aged or whatever. And the de-aging and the CGI like deceased actors or characters or whatever. Mm -hmm. It never looks good. It always looks off. You're better if you just either like (laughs) cut and paste a a shot (laughs) from a previous movie. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of rolls right here, but bear with me back in my day. And this is where we, I mean, I don't want to sound like an old man, two episodes in a row, but, but we are, you would just find a younger actor that looked kind of like that person. And everybody was fine with everyone was fine. You didn't even have to find someone that looked even remotely like your lead actor. No, you literally just said, this is them at this age. Yeah, that works. We're good with yeah, that. I, I'm not taken out of the story at all. I completely buy that that is a real person <laughs> and that character that I've been watching and I love. It does take me out of it when I'm like, well, that actor is not that age. I know that actor. He was on, <laughs> right. he was on The Tonight Show like yesterday. So I, I, it just takes you way out of it. Yeah, I am with you. I am all for like, just, just cast younger actors. Don't, I'm so mm-hmm. tired of de-aging shit and the... <sighs> It's so it's weird to say this because there are so many movies that I enjoy that are heavy CGI that do rely on the stuff and I enjoy mm-hmm. those movies but I do find myself not going back to them as much because I'd rather yeah. watch an older film where I'm like they had to actually pull this off right and actually pulling it off tends to make your story feel better it feels more genuine when you can Mm -hmm. tell like no they really had to do that holy crap (laughs) yeah i think that connection with the story and the connection with it being genuine is probably the most important part technology does make it really easy much easier to pump out i think this is the marvel problem pump out a bunch of stuff a bunch of movies a bunch of Mm -hmm. shows 
and they're not fully baked. They're not fully, they're not well written. And so for that reason, they're not well received. It's nice to see these grand CGI images and worlds that I've never seen before or would never see in the real world, but it's very superficial and mm-hmm. it's very, it, it, it's just, it's pretty colors and flashes and things, but I don't connect with it the way I would if you wrote a really good story or really good characters or took that time and it doesn't have to be super flashy and I think that those are the things that audiences will connect with, yeah. will receive well, will stand the test of time, and all of that important stuff. So, sticking with the practicality side of stuff, uh, and don't worry, folks, we'll bring it all back to Blade Runner. But this is the kind of stuff that current events and Blade Runner really like. The, the combination of these really sparked a lot uh, mm-hmm. for both of us, really. Definitely. And then I had to laugh when I found out that when Blade Runner came out, guess what was happening then too? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Writers and actors strike was happening because the studios <laughs> were fucking them over. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I laughed out loud when I was watching the dangerous days documentary and they're like, this set design in Blade Runner was absolutely insane. And the art production and art department and stuff was really, really intense but they had like six to nine months to do it because they couldn't start filming because an actor strike was going on. <laughs> yeah. And so they actually were able to do a lot of really good work on it <laughs> while they waited, which is pretty incredible. They had the time. Um, oh crap. I totally just lost my shot. Oh, that's where I was. Um, I, I saw a, a clip of, it was like a behind the scenes thing of Barbie. Okay. That just came out. And this behind the scenes clip made me be like, oh man, I could probably, like, I was curious. I eventually I'm going to watch Barbie. I don't know when, but eventually I will. But watching this behind the scenes made me be like, I would watch this movie for this sequence alone and I would probably Mm. enjoy it. It was, I guess there's a whole travel sequence in Barbie where her yeah. and Ken, I th- I bet it's when they're going from the Barbie world to the real world. Uh, I would imagine. But the behind the scenes, they filmed it like the old school film. So it's got that, like the backdrop, you have that action and then you have that front prop that kind of, okay, it's yeah. like that three stage with the movement and everything, but it's actually them, whether they're on wires <laughs> or right in the bike through the countryside, a boat through the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then seeing the behind the scenes that they did it practically. And then like they do obviously the, the comparison of here's the final product. Yeah. That made me smile. And what made me smile even more was hearing Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and Greta. Kerwick. Her. Um, I will never remember her name. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing them talk in that kind of excitement. Yeah. Filming that sequence. You can tell when an actor genuinely is all for the mm-hmm. project they're doing and parts of it yeah. because their demeanor is so different than when they're right. trying to be like, I have to say the same answer every interview that I'm going to do for the rest <laughs> of my life. Yeah. Yeah. If the performers and the people involved with the movie are fulfilled in what they're doing, mm-hmm. then it's going to 
be captured on film it and translates. it's going to come across, the audience will connect with that and be able to feel that it's like it's like captured on the film and then it's projected into the theater and people actually feel that. Yeah. And, and I, I saw that behind the scenes. It made me hopeful, like more hopeful for it. And I did have that thought. I think you've probably had this thought with some movies too, where you're <laughs> like, I bet that one scene would just be worth watching the whole thing for. I might yeah. even end up enjoying it just because I was so curious about that one part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that part is very exciting. I haven't seen that or heard that, but I do feel that way about that. Just the production design and set design for the world. Yeah. I'm like, it looks like it's really, really well done. Yeah. So I just, I think practicality realism, I think, I think what blade runner trying to bring it back folks. Yeah. Uh, kind of does help challenge. And Jake, you brought this up was like, the real world that we're presented with in Blade Runner, it's raining the whole time. It's dark. It's gross. It's mm -hmm. dirty. There's like no sunlight the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. It takes place at night the entire film. Uh, but everyone, the public around, it's crowded. It's dirty and all that. And then you have these replicants running around who could potentially be very hazardous to humanity they could potentially yeah. be such a unforgiving threat and that's what the blade runners are are there for mm -hmm. deckard and yeah they're way stronger than any person way faster way smarter and and just to escape mars they killed 23 people right and they're they're self-aware they're sentient like it's all bad folks yeah. it's all bad <laughs> <laughs> um the blade runners exist to kind of preserve the last little bit of like realism, you know, even mm -hmm. the animals are gone. They're all fake animals. Right. Unless you're crazy rich and you can afford a random real animal. <laughs> yeah. They're all seem to be at least endangered, if not extinct. Yeah. And, uh, these replicants. Now I know 2049 really challenged everyone with this thought process and I, I accept it. It's kind of a paradox for me. Uh, yeah. But I am not for the replicants. <laughs> of like, you're like, you're like Bryant. You're like these fucking skin. Jobs. <laughs> I'm like, kind of like Bryant. Yeah. I'm like, we gotta <laughs> take them out guys. Like, I think it's a really interesting <laughs> thing. And that's my, like I said, my favorite part about Blade Runner is that I think it does pull on your empathy strings mm -hmm. for them in spite of the fact that they killed a bunch of people and 2049 like you said does do that way way more and we'll get to that later but what figuring out exactly what is real mm -hmm. is a big part of this story and the people are the primary thing of are are these real people or not and and that the animal discussion is really interesting to put up against it, I think, because for me, I agree with everything that you've said about AI and I completely agree. It's a bad idea. But when I watch this movie and I watch 2049, I'm like, he's basically a person though. Like <laughs> oh, he's he... fully accept <laughs> my hypocrisy or paradox. I'm challenged by it. But when, then I think about the synthetic animal thing and, and they talk about how 
well, some on any of these animals, basically all these animals are synthetic and they are also robotic, mm-hmm. basically replicant animals. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, so they're not real then. Like in my mind, I immediately know there's real and then there's fake mm-hmm. and you can fake it all you want, but you'll never be real. And so I guess in my mind, I'm thinking the value, there's a value associated with something that is real that you, you can, you can fake and get as close as you, as close as you're able to, but it will never be the same. Mm -hmm. And I want, and then I wonder, I wonder if I am able to give more empathy towards the human replicants because they have a face okay and they're in there because when i think about ai and like ai now i'm like fuck ai i don't care <laughs> like take it out back and shoot it i don't give a fuck but if that ai gets put into like a ex machina body with a face on it and goes around calling herself ava i'm like well you know she let's hold on a second she might be okay until you find out that she's super manipulative and like (laughs) potentially the most dangerous thing to ever wander the streets yeah yeah and it will yeah i think that i think having the face if we stop it before it has a face then we're gonna be okay but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I think that it won't stop because we're stupid. Personification is what gets yeah. you. You're saying, yeah. I think even if it's like a the Turing test and a chat bot, and you're yeah. like, it's able to convince me that I'm talking to another person or something like that. It's still not a person. Like if someone says it's not a person or whatever, you find out it's not a person. Even if you can't tell, it will still never be a person. Yeah. But if you are Roy Batty or you're Kay or you're whoever, and you walk around and you live your life and you generally don't hurt anybody, um, and you gain your these memories and you gain these relationships and gain all this stuff, then and you're you know face to face with me and all this stuff, then yeah, maybe maybe you are more of a person it's a difficult question it is a difficult question um and and i know my my reaction to it is very like knee-jerk reactiony fuck ai fuck this like dependency it it, and i i am pretty adamant about that i'm so tired (laughs) of it um I am getting more and more annoyed with it. Every time I go to a website and it has a little fucking icon with they're starting to use like all the same icon. They're like, use our AI. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. How do I turn this off? Get me out of here. I I'm, I'm so tired with how idiocracy style our world and <laughs> black mirror, our world is yeah. uh, becoming. And it's not just that it's like, this isn't a natural way to me. I'm like, no, we are just so consumed with our own hubris, our own laziness. We're just, we don't know limitations. And instead of trying to give ourselves limitations, we keep opening up more boundaries 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a good thing to tear down walls, like tearing down the Berlin Wall. Good idea. Tearing down mental yeah. blocks or like walls that you, emotional walls. Good idea. Yeah. Giving yourself a permission to not have any boundaries with the world you interact with. Yeah. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the problem is, people see the cool stuff yep they see facebook and they're like hey look at this i can talk to whoever i want and you don't realize 10 years down the road where that's going to lead and Mm -hmm. social media is going to lead and we have that problem with ai it's like oh i can make this cute little photo of myself and show all my friends won't that be so fun but you don't think about the fact that 10 years down the road anybody on the planet can replicate your face Mm -hmm. online, replicate your voice online, call your children's school as yourself, uh, call your bank account, know all your information, completely steal your identity and accurately live your life online with every detail just built by computers. Right. If they have a 10 second clip of your voice, they can have you say anything you want. If they have a single image of your face, they can make it a motion video that looks exactly like you. And (laughs) They can ruin your life by making you say things that will get you fired or arrested or whatever. Right. And, or they can, you know, find your kids and use your kids or whatever. It's like, it can get really scary, really fast. It does get scary really fast. Um, and don't worry guys. I don't think the irony that we have a, a podcast that we record on video <laughs> remotely, mm-hmm. depending on a website to record us properly <laughs> store, our recording like i have not read the eula to know what they do with that information <laughs> we are fully aware of the irony and the dual you know the double-edged sword that we write here but yeah um i think in terms of the social side of it or not the social mm-hmm. side of it the um impractical side of all of it that's where my problem is. And I, I come back to a lesson that like my dad really busted his ass to try and like ingrain in me from a young age that I kind of ignored for mm-hmm. a long time because we as a species, we like the flashy. We like the cool stuff. Yeah. Um, we want the latest iPhones. We want the latest technology. If you don't have it, you're not cool enough. We want to drive the Teslas. Uh, by the way, living in the Austin area where there's a big ass fucking Tesla plant that, I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And seeing these Tesla drivers, by the way, y'all are bad drivers. Like <laughs> your car sucks. It's the new BMW. Oh yeah. my God. Um, I digress. <laughs> There's a lot of digressing tonight. Uh, There's a lot of, uh, I, yeah, I've like, there's a lot of things about Tesla's that seem so cool, but then it's also not really thought out. Like if you actually live in a place where there's ice, having a door handle that is not exposed and it's smooth and it freezes over, you can't get into your right. car anymore. Like there's, they create way more problems that old cars didn't have by trying to improve stuff. Oh yeah. And if you have to get any work done on it, have fun. I guess your debt is going to be even more substantial. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
but again. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's interesting, and this ties back into Blade Runner. Finally, if we ask ourselves what is real online with AI or whatever, or in the movie, these are characters that they themselves, as the replicants, aren't exactly real, but also they live in a world where or they're dealing with these problems that I think we're headed towards. And we talked about a second ago, which is they have these photographs of their lives mm -hmm. and photographs of things that they have, have believed they have seen. They have memories in their minds of very specific, very vivid detail, but those aren't real either. Right. And these memories have been implanted in them. The photographs were faked or provided to them just to to keep them in this state of believing um, that they're a person when they're not basically not really knowing their true identity or their true self yeah and so I mean that's that is a question I found myself thinking about a lot with as when you were like we should talk about AI um, the AI photos right now they're kind of silly they're kind of fun. Um, the world's you can tell like how it kind of draws landscapes and stuff. You're like, oh, that's one of those AI photos, or even of people. Yeah, you're like, yeah, he looks kind of cartoony. Uh, that's definitely an AI person. But if you get to the point which we aren't far away from of not knowing if this photo is real or not, and it can be generated in a second, that's wild. And so you could certainly. I mean, planting memories in people's minds or stealing people's memories to plant in other people's minds probably isn't that far off either. Oh, no. And it's just, I think so many people are caught up in like, wouldn't that be cool? What an interesting thing. And you're like, it's yeah. interesting, but like not in a <laughs> actual development kind of interesting. It's interesting in a right. like serial killer style like principle right like you are interested these things are crazy because they're real and they fascinate you yeah. because they're terrifying and like if you're not that type of being you're never going to understand yeah. it and that not the lack of understanding is what is so fascinating about it i feel like <laughs> that principle goes along with with this ai mm -hmm. obsession where you're like, you shouldn't be calling it interesting in a positive light. You should be calling it interesting in that negative light of like, this right. could be dangerous and not just could be. The probability is mm. so high <laughs> that right. more people need to be like, this is a problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about it a lot especially before you texted me, but more so after you texted me when I knew it was going to be a big topic of conversation because you watch Blade Runner and you watch how really Scott worked so hard to make this movie happen, made compromises, especially in the beginning, but just tried to get the movie done and get the movie out. The writers wrote so many drafts mm -hmm. trying to make it work, come up with the right ideas. The, actors so many takes trying to get the right thing putting so much work in blade runner is sincerely a real movie made by real people on every level effects music 
everything. Oh yeah. You can feel that realness. But I was thinking about it in regards to the a the writer strike and we haven't really talked about demands or whatever, but one of the craziest things I read was studios or at least some studios were trying to get actors to agree to uh, one day's pay for them, like their image to be captured yep. and then they could use it, use it through AI forever. For, like, and that's all you would get out of it is that they would pay you once, go in, get your shit captured. Yeah. And then they would basically own your image. Forever. They own your image and can use it in any future project. However they wish. Yeah. Which is insane, which me. is insane. And I did have a moment. I think a lot of people probably have had a few moments like this, especially us non multimillionaires who, who live a, Everyone. a celebrity life. Um, yeah. But I think we still, I think you have to put the dollar sign, like that style of dollar sign. I think we have to completely ignore that. And think mm -hmm. of it as your job. Right. This is these like actors and writers. The, this is their job. They get paid mm -hmm. to perform a service. Is their payment a little bit different than ours? Sure. It's a job. They still right. have to fill out their W2s. They still have to file their taxes. They still have to earn a paycheck, mm -hmm. collect right. that paycheck. Um, I think. I don't I don't necessarily think that that shouldn't happen because you have people like Bruce Willis who can't work anymore. He can't work, he would like but he'll to. be able to collect his residuals. His family's going to be able yeah. to collect his residuals from his past projects. And that's, and you should be able to set up a, a situation where you can maybe even do future things mm -hmm. um, with your likeness or whatever. If they, if they do that, as far as agreements for the things, I don't think that AI necessarily is the right answer, but I think that if you're going to have, these there should be some kind of but, companies, but having a likeness, using a likeness that needs to remain with the discretion yeah. of the actors. Right. Um, and they should be able to veto and say, you know what? I would rather not be in this porno that you're about to put me in. Right. Like, Oh, <laughs> I would rather my likeness not be associated with the thing that I am against. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, <fuck>. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, I think as people, because I think a knee jerk reaction from the public is, oh, whiny actors, whiny celebrities. It's mm -hmm. not that. If we showed up to our jobs, our nine to fives, whatever, and our mm -hmm. bosses told us, we're going to pay you for today. Yeah. It'll be like, you imagine it'd be one big lump sum, right? And then they yeah. say, and then your job, or I'm just going to use your likeness or your voice, whatever. <laughs> yeah. However, we but you're want. still going to, you're still going to use your job. You're just going to, we're still going to use you for your job. You're just going to go home and never get paid again. Right. Like we expect this from you, but we're only paying you the one time. Yeah. Bye. That's insane. That's insane. And any, yeah. any worker that's not celebrity would flip the fuck out. Hmm. If your bosses were refusing to pay you adequately and people yeah. freak the fuck out as you should for the job <laughs> yeah. that you're performing. Uh, I sympathize with them. I felt bad mm -hmm. for the writers because these writers don't get paid like 
hardly anything unless you're a very high regarded high class writer. Um, yeah. And you have a show that like goes into the fifth season. Or whatever, uh, right. Which is pretty rare, which is rare. And, um, I'm, I'm on the side with the actors and stuff. It's kind of weird for me. And mm. I've been thinking about this a lot of just like, what is the future of Hollywood at this moment? Cause it's kind mm. of bleak right now. Yeah, I think that I honestly think that there needs to be a revolution in it. And it's not just because I'm you know, a crazy <laughs> anarchist or whatever, but I do think that there needs to be some sort of a complete change and overhaul in the structure because it's kind of gotten out of hand as far as just everything, how it's yeah. all set up, who's in, who's doing what. And and everybody thinks about when you think of like, oh, the actors are striking, you're like, oh, Tom Cruise is out there, like all these big names are having these problems, but it's really all of the people that don't really have a lot of parts and they're just trying to get by and they're also being offered. If you come in for one day, um, then we can just use you in the background of every <laughs> scene in the world. Like you will, you'll just plop you in wherever with all these little parts. It doesn't really matter. You're an unknown person but we can now use you and you don't yeah. ever get to be an actor basically. Well, there's that. And then like, it's also brought up all of the stuff of their previous work, which an actor and writer, like everyone who is a part of the creation of the film, like it's all in their contracts. Mm -hmm. Like you get paid residuals. So when yeah. your previous work is watched and enjoyed, rented, bought, whatever mm -hmm. you make a, I don't know, tiny percentage off of it. You're supposed to. Right. And this, I felt, I felt attacked and challenged, but in a healthy way because mm -hmm. they brought up streaming and how dangerous streaming has become <laughs> yeah. for artists out there, whether it's musicians, actors, anyone, uh, because mm -hmm. they're not getting paid for the views. Mm -hmm. And they're like, it's in our contracts that we get paid when people watch our shit buy our shit but we're not yeah. getting paid for any of it they don't track that the same it way. doesn't get tracked like at all and uh i felt kind of like oh shit because i stream i mean i'll be the first yeah. to say like i have the stream services because it's convenient mm -hmm. for me it's way more convenient for me right and i did have kind of a dilemma i was like oh my god <laughs> do i need to like just shut down my stream mm -hmm. services. Like, I don't know what, what my Go answer is here. Yeah. Um, I did find some solace because I was like, ah, but you still like physical copies. Yeah. And you still go out, whether it's CDs, <laughs> movies, I will yeah. get a physical copy of something when I can. Mm -hmm. So I felt, I felt a little bit at peace for that. I mean like, okay. Yeah. I don't feel like a complete, ass but <laughs> no you're i mean not most people don't buy physical copies anymore and that yeah used to be depended on by people they're like okay we, even if we don't make a lot in the theater people will buy it the on sales are gonna whatever. be there yeah and now that's not the case there are a handful of people you mostly is the only one i know <laughs> who buys <laughs> physical media now i take that as a compliment uh um, yeah no it's definitely a good thing I just, it's so weird to me that this is a state and I'm with you. I'm like, I think this would be such a great moment 
for Hollywood as a entity mm-hmm. to kind of crumble. Yeah. And have someone kind of bring in this rebirth of filmmaking and try and be like, mm-hmm. no, let's get back to basics. Let's get back to like the joy of filmmaking. And I'm not yeah. going to lie. I really was like, I think fucking Steven Spielberg. I think Martin <laughs> Scorsese, Chris Nolan, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. I think these guys who are out there right now mm-hmm. who are pushing for practicality for yeah. realism in film, they need to sit in a room and just be like, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we restructure? Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of a back to basics, back to the origins of filmmaking yeah. and super independent having to figure it out and solve these problems yeah. and and coming up with coming up with whatever you can make like it's going to have its problems but it's going to be genuine it'll be genuine let's just try i think that's important right now um i don't know if that will happen i think it should happen i heard a24 is like the only studio right now that has fully been like, we get it. Let's mm. actually try and have a healthy negotiation. And I think they actually did come up with like a new contract for these actors and writers. I think so. I think that uh, a 24 is one of the few that actors are actually allowed to make projects for because they agreed to their demands or whatever, which is cool, especially for fans of a 24, like you and I were for like, let's just, yeah, their stories are interesting unless it's Mm -hmm. Bo is afraid. That movie was terrible. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of shit that they make, but at least they're genuinely trying. Uh, It's outside of the studio bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird. I wish I would have learned more of the strike when Blade Runner was coming out um, mm-hmm. just to kind of see like, what are the parallels? Cause I know a lot yeah. of it is pretty similar, but mm-hmm. I'd be curious. What are the parallels and how, mm-hmm. what, what steps are we hoping someone takes? I don't want film to go away. And whenever you watch yeah. a futuristic movie, have you ever noticed in movies that take place in the future, Blade Runner included. Yeah. There's Maybe no it's the future past. Yeah. There's no <laughs> movies. There's no music. There's mm-hmm. like nothing. I yeah, don't want I had that not, but that's scary. Yeah. I mean, Matrix is that way. Yeah. There's, They're all that way. There's no storytelling anymore. Yeah. I don't. Well, it seems like it's so bleak because people have lost their imagination Mm -hmm. and their will and all this stuff. They're kind of just depressed consumers or whatever. They're dare I say we're mindless (laughs) (laughs) like androids walking around. So I guess that could be another question Blade Runner potentially brings up is, Mm -hmm. Is there more humanity in Roy for his passion of lengthening his time here on Earth than there is in like he's, Deckard? Or he's the most most 
most passionate about being alive of anybody in the movie. Yeah. And nobody on the street, nobody in the bar, nobody. Everyone looks miserable. He's drinking every night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's challenging. Challenging is good. We need challenging. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. (laughs) I do think, I do think that there's also, in all of these futuristic movies, no more beauty in, in Blade Runner, especially there's zero nature. Oh in yeah. This movie it's everything is destroyed. The animals are gone. The trees and everything are gone. Unless you watch the theatrical and see the end, but in general, <laughs> uh, everything, nobody, all they have is just dark, boring buildings. Uh, yeah. And so much of our, architecture these days has just gotten more and more boring more and more depressing when we used to build beautiful structures that were functional but also just in a joy to see that actually there, inspired you as a as a you know culture yeah there was uh it was all about like the practicality of it which is a huge thing uh to just be practical Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry about flashy. Don't worry, worry about like being as contemporary as possible. I think yeah. the super blocky stuff, it totally, there's sometimes I'll be driving down a street and you look on one side and you're like, Ooh, pretty old homes. And you come down, like you cross an intersection. And you're like, Ooh, I'm in the industry, like <laughs> industrial area. And it just looks sad. Like, yeah. Are we all headed for a Joe versus the volcano kind of world soon or a Blade Runner world mm-hmm. soon? Yes, we are. It'll probably be a combo. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was like, there is no joy. Everyone just looks so miserable. Even when Deckard is playing the piano, the like mm-hmm. five notes that he plays, mm-hmm. he looks so depressed doing it. And it's like, you have the means mm-hmm. And you're too depressed to just do it. Well, I mean, playing a little devil's advocate, we haven't talked about the movie, but at that point in the story, I'm pretty sure he did just shoot a woman in the back and is kind of dealing with his having a bit of a crisis of conscience if he is a bad person or not. Hey, I don't take that as you playing devil's advocate. I think that's fair. Uh, Yeah. He he did shoot. He only. <laughs> this sounds so bad, but he only kills women in this movie. That's true because <laughs> Rachel kills Leon. Because Rachel kills Leon. Yeah, but his yeah. job as Blade Runner is to retire uh, the replicants. Right, like that's his yeah. job. And you, I imagine he, they don't really say, but he apparently was the best. And so he must've killed a lot of people in his day. I imagine or a lot of replicants. They are not people. Not people. He, I don't want to offend you. It's calling people. He is a retirement professional mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to replicants. Yeah. Uh, it also kind of like makes me wonder like how trustworthy is their four year lifespan? Then if you have to have, these blade runners to ensure that replicants mm-hmm. are retired. <laughs> so I think I was thinking about that. I think that the Nexus six is the 
new model and i think that they are the ones with the four-year lifespan oh yeah you're right yeah i think that they um they are also the ones that didn't have emotions initially but they also knew that maybe they all didn't have emotions but they learned that they'll you can't have consciousness in a being without them and having them experience the world without slowly developing kind of an emotional oh, yeah. connection reaction over time and so they realized yeah that probably will be about three or four years before they figure it out so we'll put a ticking time bomb in them and that would help if they ever get back to earth at least they'll be on a rampage for you know a year or so true true uh okay <laughs> but yeah it's interesting i didn't they don't really tell you how recent hard replica or how recent are the nexus sixes uh, i started kind of piecing that together when uh brian sends deckard to tyrell's with the uh -huh. void conf machine and it they don't they don't come out and say it but it seems that they don't really know if the void comp machine will work on nexus sixes and so he needs to find a nexus six and try it out so that they know when they find one of these ones that are on the run that it'll work it seems uh, like yeah of course he doesn't which it he only uses the test like the one time but <laughs> yeah and not even yeah. on the ones All that are on the run all the other ones, uh, they kind of just come out and say, hey, we're replicants because they start running away or attacking him. <laughs> yeah, Rachel's the only one. And she doesn't even know she's a replicant, which is the interesting thing. I, I feel, think that... I feel bad for Rachel. I do too. It's a shitty situation to be in, to have your whole... I mean, she does a good job of not falling into an existential crisis because she has a normal life with a normal job she's the styrel's assistant and then all of a sudden they're like yeah but you're not real and nothing you remember ever happened to you and uh you're actually a robot you're gonna die maybe in the next three years <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't go on a killing rampage uh no she just kind of like lets her hair down literally <laughs> She does literally <laughs> let her hair down. Yeah. And she has sex with Deckard, which I feel like we should talk about the sex scene. It's kind of aggressive, I would say. I find their relationship. <laughs> is that the right word? No, it's not. I find love. their forced intimate interaction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a tough scene for me. And their their love story or whatever, that art that they have together. Yeah. It has never really sat well with me. Mm -hmm. It's just such a weird, like, this feels wrong, which maybe that's the point. Uh, yeah. I don't think I actually kind of was okay with their... That interaction with Deckard, you know, when he's like, say you love me, say you love yeah. me. Like, this is creepy. Tell me to kiss you. And gross. Yeah, like, it's gross. Yeah. gross. It just is. Um, Of course, by the time the ending rolls around, I find it more understanding 
just because I think you understand Deckard way more and the questions surrounding yeah. Deckard are like full fruition at that point. Yeah. Um, at least to, I think most audiences. Um, right. And then when, 20- I, yeah, I think that he starts to question. Yeah. All of those things earlier than, than you start to question. Right. Because he's a, a detective and B kind of since he's introduced to Rachel and gives her the test, he's like, she doesn't know what she is. How is that possible? She doesn't know. Um, he's st- everybody I think would start wondering, is it possible that I'm a replicant? And I actually don't have those memories and all that stuff. Yeah. So they're, they're forced intimate moment. Uh, never sits well with me, but I understand why they run off together. And then when 2049 came out, that was a thing for me was like 2049. I felt finally kind of gave me that. Like I get those two now. Yeah. Closure. I still don't really like how Deckard is with her mm-hmm. when they're together for the first time. It just feels, <laughs> it feels unnecessarily aggressive. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what yeah. bothers me so much is it just, it feels unnecessary. I feel like it would have worked fine mm-hmm. if you had Rachel initiate it or just, they have yeah. that like a sudden moment together instead of him being yeah. like, you know, you tell me that you want me to kiss <laughs> you. Like, oh. yeah. And she's so vulnerable and innocent that she's not doesn't strike the audience or at least me as someone who's like would or should respond well to mm-hmm. that like that's an intentional thing that she's into totally and so yeah i think that's kind of why it feels the most weird apparently the the intimate scene was supposed to be like way longer and more <laughs> you know nice and sensual and stuff but all of the subtle things always get cut down Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It is weird though. Um, I know we've mentioned if we are jumping all over. That's okay. Folks. Like I, <laughs> you said you don't want to go from beginning to end. So I, we're just doing it. Well, I said we could, I was just like, I know it's too late. Now. There's so many discussions. One big one that you, I feel like you can't talk about blade runner and these times without yeah. having a discussion about the dangers of AI and dependency on it. Um, mm-hmm. And the exploitation of it, his scene, Deckard's scene when he's with the, I forget her name, uh, the snake lady. Zora. Yeah, Zora. Zora. That scene, I think any other time is just funny. And like, cause he does a silly voice, you know, like, yeah. it kind of sounds like the goofy voice that he does in uh, Indiana Jones, but it's not quite the same, but it's yeah. still but watching that scene now and he's asking her about like, have you felt exploited? Do you think mm-hmm. like people are using your image and they're going to just use it? However, dirty boys with <laughs> holes in the walls. And you're like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Art has become reality. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The snake lady. Ah, oh, poor Zora. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the whole—I mean, the whole cyber genetic stuff 
I think is fascinating in this movie from the snake being artificial and the, the whole investigation from finding the scale and taking it to that lady and her figuring out it's not, it's not a fish scale. It's a snake scale. Although every time I watch Blade Runner and she's like, it's not a fish, it's snake. And Deckard played by Harrison Ford goes snake. I go, why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> every time, every time I watch it, Deckard goes, snakes and i go why did it have to be snakes <laughs> uh, i, I appreciate so that i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> but i do i everything about the owl and all of the different animals i think is interesting but none of it's more interesting than when batty goes to the eye guy mm -hmm. um i don't have his name in front of me but the guy who's basically his whole job is formulating and creating eyes for replicants and his everything about um Rucker Hauer and and his performances Roy Batty is fantastic in this movie but and he has some of the best lines in the movie particularly I think he at has the end the best lines <laughs> the, be the <laughs> best line at the end is also when he came up with but I really also enjoy his line at the eye guy's place in the freezer where he's talking to him and he's like if you had only seen what I've seen through your eyes, yeah, like just the way that that works so well grammatically, but also in the concept of the movie that this man has formed and created these eyes, put them in a robot. That robot has gone to space and seen things happening and the rings of Saturn and all of this right. stuff through those eyes formed those memories and come back to earth it's like it's a heavy and wild thing that's just delivered in a single line i think so perfectly oh it's it's a deep cut line like yeah because you imagine you can't even imagine what he has actually witnessed been a part of and you can't yeah. tell if he's just alluding to all the beauty or if he's talking about all the like violence or the combination, right. you really don't know. You're not able to read it. And Rucker Howard yeah. is perfect as everything. Roy and the way he plays that. Oh, hundred percent. I love that whole scene. I feel bad for the eye guy, but I love that. whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody kind of ends up. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get it as bad as Tyrell. I think to have your just, your eyes gouged out by someone's thumbs. That's probably the worst way to that's, go. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always have found uh, Pris or Pre, whatever the Pre. I call her Pris. Yes. Uh, that's how it's spelled. Damn it. Um, yeah. Sorry. It was like some fuzz fell on my knee. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> Daryl Hannah I remember when I saw it for the first time like I already knew who Daryl Hannah was from Splash from Splash everyone knows yeah. Daryl Hannah and I was like ooh Daryl Hannah she'll be interesting to watch in this movie she is interesting but she's like she's an odd character to me yeah I never quite understand like 
are they going for her and Roy have like a thing? They're trying to have a thing or she's just like mm. this lost child replicant that can't live very long. So what the fuck yeah. is she like? I've always felt Daryl Hannah was only cast in this role because she had a name. Mm. I, uh, I've kind of always felt that she was underutilized in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think, I mean, I, Pritz is interesting because she's different from the other four in the sense that they were all more combat focused yeah. or, or heavy loader industrial focused. And she's a basic pleasure model as Bryant calls it. Um, and so she's definitely, I think, intentionally more seductive. Although Azora does like strips, so what are you, what are you gonna do? But her role in the movie, that at least that Roy gives her, is to manipulate JF Sebastian to let him let them in to his place. And I think she does a good job of being in it, like cute and disarming and sweet but also like connecting with him in a way that he gets he's also jay sebastian is interesting because he's also kind of childlike like her and he makes toys in his free time and yeah those toys by the way the, the from the first time i saw it to the every time i see it when those when he gets home and those two little uh, tiny dudes walk in and they go Home again, home again, jiggity jig. Like they, they look so real as like real people, which I think is off putting, but they're also like tiny little toys and they got the long noses and it just looks so scary to me. <laughs> I don't they know freak you out, don't they? <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable with like the toys in his apartment for sure. I am with you. They don't like creep me out, but I'm like, every time I see them, I'm like, you know, I've seen a handful of movies where where the toys are uh, <laughs> not to be trusted. I saw yeah. Puppet Master. I've seen Small yeah. Soldiers. I've seen Trekkie. <laughs> I love Small Soldiers. Uh, don't. Oh, that's what the fuck it is. Fucking mosquito got in here. Damn it. Kill it. I can't. It's like. Anyways. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, how the fuck do you sleep at night? Especially, you're part mm. of the problem, J.F. Sebastian. You're creating <laughs> these things that become aware. <laughs> right. He closely works with Tyrell to create replicants. <laughs> and then just in his free time, makes these toys that have some form of intelligence. How do you know they're not going to stab you in your sleep? We've seen the movie. Yep. J.F. It you happens. clearly need to find like an old reel of Puppet Master and just understand <laughs> the toys yep. will kill you. Uh, which, yeah. in a way, I mean, it's not his direct toy, but poor J.F. Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, that is like the one thing that keeps me from, in my mind, giving Roy Batty... Uh, I guess forgiving him. Like you don't see him slaughter the 23 people or his group of six replicants. You don't see them slaughter the 23 people when they escape from the colony. And you do see him kill the eye guy, but he works for Tyrell. So maybe he's a bad guy and he kills Tyrell and that's fine. He was, it's part of the story. There's also a whole thing with like 
in order to grow up, you have to kill your father kind of thing. It's a psychology thing, whatever. But the thing I can't forgive and get over is that this is a man or this is a replicant, a thing, a person, a, 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 a unit who <laughs> is supposed to be like valuing his life and wanting it to be longer. And he does save Deckard and values his life. And that's nice. But he, I feel like really should have let JF Sebastian live, mm -hmm. particularly because JF um, struggles with basically the same affliction. He has an unnaturally short life with some disease that makes him age faster than normal. Yeah. And so they should share that bond of we have a very limited time on this planet. Let's make it count kind of thing. Uh, when they when the cops say that JF was is dead, I'm like, fuck. Like I can, he really should have lived. I'm really upset by that part. And you, you should be. I'm glad they don't show him get killed. Um, yeah, I have pretty much always maintained the the theory, I guess, that JF knows he's gonna die in the mm -hmm. elevator. Yeah, I think when Roy gives him the final nervous. chess move, the checkmate move, I think that just the way that JF's demeanor is the whole. I mean, he's got very nervous demeanor the whole time, but him and Roy mm, have that so. look. And I think at that moment, JF understands like he's out to kill us. We made yeah. him. He's going to kill us. But, yeah. And then. Tyrell telling Roy, like, I literally can't do anything to extend your life. Like, mm -hmm. why? He's only keeping you alive for that one sliver of a chance, and you just took it away. Like, right now you gotta die. Um, yeah. But I think he was gonna kill Tyrell anyways. It made me, him killing Tyrell, and uh, you, Brett, you actually mentioned it of the like uh, killing of the father figure or whatever. Yeah. Um, and bear with us, folks. <laughs> so Ridley Scott has said that Blade Runner and the Alien franchise are the same universe. They There's like mm. images in Blade Runner that are directly from Alien. And in okay. Prometheus, I think it's Prometheus, Probably. they actually talk about events that happen in Blade Runner. Uh, okay. Like they mentioned Tyrell. Night. They might mention him by name, but they talk about a guy that was trying to like replicate life and he just fucked uh, it all up. Yeah. And uh, it got me really kind of curious about that because I was like, well, the whole point of like David and Prometheus and Alien Covenant, like he is set out to create or to destroy his creator so that he can be the ultimate being. Uh, this godlike yeah. figure, this perfect figure, so he can go and create his own mm -hmm. and, and control his own. Um, and then you watch Blade Runner. Well, I guess you would watch Blade Runner first and then Prometheus. Anyways, uh, <laughs> and Roy is going to kill his creators to extend his life potentially. And mm -hmm. almost like a punishment, this is what happens when you chose, you know, when you made me uh, the yeah. way that I am. Uh, folks, are you are you hearing the danger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very very true. <laughs> but I was like, I wonder if Ridley Scott has this 
this must be a story arc that he enjoys or this like a plot point that he enjoys yeah. of the killing of the father. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's an interesting one. It's very intriguing because I think it's a yeah. very dark connotation and there's mm-hmm. nothing good that comes from it. Yeah. And it's interesting that, uh, Batty basically received forgiveness from him as well, that he tells him, Fatty says, I've done questionable things, which isn't really admitting that you've, that you're wrong or you've been bad or evil or anything. Um, he doesn't say, you know, I've made a mistake. I've learned from it all, anything like that. He's just like, you know, I did some questionable things in my life. And Ty, but Trilel basically dismisses it. And, and he's like, yeah, that, that doesn't matter. I mean, you kind of do what you have to do. And I think that's certainly interesting, but yeah, certainly not enough for him to oh, actually yeah. uh, let Tyrell live. And it, it's, I think that, or I wonder if him killing Tyrell is, is in hopes that he doesn't inflict this pain or burden on any other replicants. Like if he could kill the head of the corporation, if, that corporation would die off and no longer continue to create replicants who become self-aware, who are aware of their four-year lifespan and have to go through that crisis of consciousness. Um, Maybe so, or maybe it was just a selfish thing that he did that uh, out of anger or whatever. I kind of take it. um, I don't think he actually values like life as a as a thing well i think he values until maybe the roof i think he values his existence but being a replicant i don't think he can ever fully understand life like the complexities of it have that level of empathy yeah and i think because he has will never be able to experience that he values existence he wants to continue existing so maybe he can a real memory and hold on to it or form like a real experience uh that could be definable in life Uh, Mm um i think that's more his motivation Mm -hmm. is just he's trying to force some kind of pseudo life experience or whatever yeah. Um, and so like when Tyrell's telling him I can't do this, I think it's literally Ty- he kills Tyrell not only to like I guess punish Tyrell, but it's also like uh well I, I I guess I just said it like you just took away the only thing that I really felt you yeah. valued. Yeah. And you took that out or what you had yeah. of value, not valued. Um, yeah, I think so too. So I, I, mean, I, I think, yeah, I think Roy is just gonna. He can't fully experience the uh, mythos of life, right? Yeah, joy, love. Um, I think, I think it's an interesting thought, though, that he might only experience stuff such as like hate or anger. Yeah, frustration, um, but he's not able to experience all the other stuff that comes with it or can combat it Um, or isn't able to yet hasn't developed 
those emotions enough mm-hmm. because he has the t- limitation on his life uh, time frame, and maybe those come later, uh, right? Kind of thing. Of course, he's like, I mean, when we meet Roy, he's on like this is it for me. I'm yeah. about to expire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've always taken, and I don't know how you. Uh, take this part but when right before he kills Tyrell he kisses him Mm -hmm. on the mouth and I've always taken that as more as kind of a thank you or a not a love because he doesn't know him but kind of a you are my creator and I, I kind of do appreciate having been created but also fuck you because it's the worst thing ever and so that's why he does both kisses him and then kills him. Yeah. Um, I've, I've kind of always taken the kiss as definitely not an act of love, especially since he follows it up with murder. Um, but kind of like, I don't even want to compare it to like the Judas kiss. Yeah. But that would be the first thing that would come to mind because it's an act of betrayal. Um, yeah. And that may have been what the idea was originally for him, but I don't, I can't really go with that because if you follow that story, like Judas still had love for Jesus, yeah. whereas Roy doesn't have empathy or love, period. Right. Um, so I take the kiss as kind of like Roy has observed kissing being associated with people saying goodbye. Mm, interesting. And so he's saying goodbye. Yeah, that's interesting. I could buy that. And who knows? <laughs> I yeah. was trying to read up some stuff on other theories. <laughs> it's kind of hard to read up on like a lot of fan theories regarding Blade Runner that don't pertain strictly to Deckard being a replica. Yeah. And I'm like, this shouldn't even be popping up anymore because they've kind of blatantly told us the answer. Uh, right. <laughs> and there's so much more in the story that I think you could pick apart and come up with reasons or motivations or history right, of right. these characters in there. I think what they're trying to show you. I honestly think the movie would kind of fail if it wasn't for Roy. I think yeah. he is a Harrison Ford is the top bill and nothing against him, nothing against his character. But I think, I think Roy is the meat of the story. He's the most challenging part of the whole story. He moves it forward constantly. He does. And Deckard kind of just follows along and like accidentally comes across like Pris and Roy, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's true. We have not mentioned, and I get it, there's so much to say. We're probably going to miss <laughs> so much. I'm so sorry, folks. <laughs> we haven't talked about Gaff. The good news is we can always cover it oh, next I time when we you. talk about I can't believe I lost 49. Oh, yeah, yeah, so Gaff. Well. Oh, there you are. We haven't mentioned him once or his origami. Yeah. Which I think like 
Ridley Scott coming out and being like, there's no deep meanings. Like this is just strictly entertainment. Don't try to find any like hidden stuff. Mm -hmm. The origami kind of gives stuff away and it's definitely big hints or at least big like questions or it's purposeful. It feels like you can't say it's nothing. (laughs) Right. Like, because even from the beginning in the police station, when he is, well, he makes when the chicken. Brian, yeah, Brian's <laughs> trying to get uh, Deckard to come back in, and he uh, he makes a little chicken. That's very obvious that <laughs> Deckard is afraid of of getting back into being a Blade Runner. Or also, I mean, he has reason to be afraid of both sides being a Blade Runner, but also not mm-hmm. because Brian basically makes him an offer he can't refuse by saying. You're either a cop or you're a little person, which means that you have no choice but to be a Blade Runner. Otherwise, the police state's going to crush you, basically. Oh, yeah. But you're, like, trustworthy. Yeah. Terribly People. scary. People. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he makes, like, the man figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little stick figure guy. Yeah. I read out it's supposed to be, like, the Bernie man or a Bernie man, but there's, it looks like just a blank figure. Um, That's the only one that I I feel probably doesn't have too much except that. And I've never thought of it. Well, I had not thought of it for a long time and then rewatching this and just like trying to observe it a bunch more. Um, I'm like, dude, Gaff is totally hunting Deckard. Yeah, he's keeping an eye on him like, for sure. And I think him making the man is just the kind of like the mystery of the part of the mystery of Deckard. And I think that's Gaff trying to figure mm. out like, is he or is he not kind of thing. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's are you a man or are you a machine, mm-hmm. basically. And then, of course, he he tops it all off with that unicorn. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a buddy, uh, well, he's still a friend. Um, he met Edward James almost and he had him sign an origami unicorn. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, yeah, that's clever. That would be, that would be something you would hold on to. Like, I hope he still has Mm -hmm. it. Uh, yeah, for sure. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Edward James almost as gaff is one of the most interesting characters because you see him right at the beginning when he picks up Deckard and he uses city speak, which is a really interesting concept that I really disappointed. They don't use it all in the sequel in 2049 that, yeah, just that the, all of these societies have come together so much that we've all kind of formed an amalgam of, (laughs) of not gibberish, but like jargon, I guess that slang and everything that you can combine Hungarian and Japanese and German and all of these different languages into just this thing that that people kind of just commonly know. I think that's really interesting. And I think it's especially interesting that Edward James almost basically came up with what it sounds like by mm-hmm. like he formed that whole all of his lines and what languages they would be in and how to pronounce them. And it was his like thing to come up with that. And that was really interesting. Stab it. I hit the mic. It was waving. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think it's weird watching the theatrical cut because when you have 
Deckard find the origami unicorn, and then he hears Gaff's voice or remembers what Gaff said a little bit ago about <laughs> Rachel and how she's not going to live very long. But then again, who does? I I would be very confused if that was the first hundred oh, percent because, like, I mean it. It doesn't really allude to much of anything, which may have been the point. Maybe they thought it was too confusing and let's just take it out. But it means so much. Like, I feel like it's a non-ending without having seen Decker's unicorn dream or memory or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then to find the origami unicorn, it's if you're paying attention, those things connect so well that Gaff knows what his dreams are or memories are. Right. The only way he can know is if Decker's a replicant and he's had those implanted, basically. And all of those are on file, and Gaff knows that and is hunting him because he knows and he's is a replicant hunting him. and I think go uh, off at any time. I think, you know, because right after Deckard finds the unicorn, you know, it's him and Rachel have to bail. Yeah, they're on the run, basically. Knowing the unicorn dream uh, and knowing that, oh, that's the only way this unicorn could show up. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that adds more motivation and makes Rachel and Deckard make sense, actually, that they're like, fuck, now we're both in the same boat. Deckard understands yeah. like so much more. And you as the audience can understand so much more. Uh, by mm -hmm. the way, folks, we just spoiled Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I meant to warn you we would do that. I think I did. But you did. Not. I just <laughs> since this one has not gone the traditional route that we normally do. Yeah, <laughs> it's not <funny>. linear. <laughs> um, yeah, I I love the origami hints, and I think Gaff is so important as a character, even for the like four scenes that he's in mm -hmm. he's so important just because he's like he is Deckard at in the same like vein yeah as Deckard is with Rachel or with the the Nexus 6 group uh, yeah he's just more I guess trying to actually be the detective instead of mm -hmm. finding he's trying to figure out like, are you or are you not? And I think the unicorn dream yeah. is the like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the answer. Um, now, where Decker got the unicorn, I think it's probably just like a, a unique thing that they supplanted into. Yeah. Into the mind. Like, a, yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's a unicorn and not like a horse. Like it mm -hmm. can't be a memory of real life. I'm assuming this is a real world earth in 2019 where unicorns don't exist or have <laughs> right. never existed. I, I kind of take it as like, instead of barcodes or like, like just the thumbprint or something like yeah. the unicorn is the unique thing associated. Everyone to gets something Decker. different. It, yeah. Like the, the undercover ones, if you will, uh, have their own unique kind of stamp from Tyrell company. And yeah, that maybe that generation had, had some interesting imagery or right. dreams planted in them. That way, if someone was like doing some brain scans or memory scans, if that popped up, that's your like, Oh, 
we got one. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be very unique. Um, man, we, we skipped a bunch, didn't we? Well, <laughs> we might as well get to like the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah, I- you say that we spoiled the ending. I think that this is really the true ending. I okay. I'll give you that. that it's, I'll give you. I mean, that. it's the climax. I guess it's the climax. But the unicorn origami is kind of like the epilogue. This is the actual ending. Um, I think if it wasn't for the conversation, the conversation. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for the monologue on the rooftop. Yeah. Dare I say, I don't think Blade Runner would be as loved. I think right. his monologue at the end is so good. Yeah. For as short as it is, I think it's so well done and it hits so deep and yeah. it carries so much weight that, like, that's, I mean, that's what everyone remembers from Blade Runner, essentially. Yeah. That alone connected with audiences in a way that, made this movie stand out above all other movies yeah. in the genre. Uh, so good on you, Rucker Howard, because he came up with, apparently they wanted him to have this huge technical monologue, and he was like, no. And he came mm-hmm. up with this thing himself, which, good on you. That's amazing. Can we have more of that kind of stuff? <laughs> uh, which we do. We have a lot of like improv dialogue yeah. in films. Keep it up. It works really well. Uh, yeah. Sometimes. You never know until you try. It's true. What's interesting to me about like the whole final, what, 12 minutes of the movie. So you get the, mm-hmm. the prison Deckard fight, which yeah. ends with her being shot. Well, first it goes with her doing some weird flip stuff and she's pretending to be one of the <laughs> toys. And then her uh-huh. hair goes like, like she really scary. Yeah. Like if you really grip those static electricity yeah. balls or whatever, but it like yeah, short circuited and it just went <laughs> like that's her hair. Uh-huh. And she's like turning his head in her like thighs. thighs. It's yeah. so weird. The way that <laughs> like grabs in his nose. And... <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like their fight scene is odd to me. But I kind of respect that it's not like choreographed well, that it's not Mm. a smooth fight. It's so clunky and awkward. And you got to appreciate that even though he was trying not to emulate Indiana Jones anymore, he still gets up, grabs a gun, and is like, fuck it. (laughs) 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 And then she seizures a lot like some of the androids from the alien franchise just without the milk she's got blood but she still has Mm. like that freaky yeah uh which is kind of weird because zora didn't do that zora didn't do that that. either um it's almost like pris's insides were not quite connected correctly (laughs) someone's solder job was bad yeah or she's just (laughs) dramatic or she's dramatic um but Deckard does not talk. He doesn't have a line. Right. For like the final, what, 12, 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, he's not like 
trying to arrest them. He's like, not like, stop or I'll shoot. He's just like, goes in, fights them, shoots at them, jumps across the roof, fights Roy, <laughs> listens to Roy's monologue, listens to Gaff's like warning, <laughs> right. goes inside, looks at Rachel. They walk out, find the unicorn. They walk to the thing. That whole thing, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say a word. Um, which I never, I guess I never realized until I had it blatantly. Like I found that little tidbit of like, he doesn't have any dialogue in the final act of the film. And I was like, yeah, he does. Rewatched it and was like, no, he doesn't. What the fuck? Yeah. It's a weirdly long time for sure for your main character. But Roy's like Roy snaps. He, yeah. he goes weird. He doesn't go crazy. It's just weird. He starts howling. Yeah. He, he like grabs he's, it. He's the last one. Yeah. Which I think is part of it. He's the last remaining one of his group. And I think he knows that time is catching up with him it seems like well his his somehow. hand like s stops you know like and he even has that line of like not yet yeah and he grabs he pulls the nail out of the floorboard stabs it through his hand which i don't know about you but like the first handful of times i watched this i was like is he like <laughs> gonna use his arm as a weapon but now i'm like no he's just trying to like feel it feel it and just have like not lose yeah. all mobility in that Keep hand it from shutting down. Yeah. yeah. And uh, his howling. I think my favorite part inside the building when he's chasing uh -huh. Deckard is when he like punches his head through the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Busts through the bathroom wall with his head. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I can see you. <laughs> and then he shows up with a dove. That he just kind of yeah. carries around with him during this chase. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, why I alluded to or said before, I want him to begin to cherish life. And I, that's, I think that maybe he could, or maybe he does in the smallest way when he saves Deckard. And then also is holding the dove. Like, he, he needs that thing near him mm -hmm. needs to hold on to it as like he's trying to hold on to his own life he's trying to hold on to that living thing i assume it's a real dove maybe it's a synthetic uh, android dove but it seems like it works better in my mind if it's a real pigeon or dove or whatever we will never know but we kind of have to assume that it's synthetic just because yeah. there's like no other birds in the sky the entire movie. But then again, yeah. the movie takes place at night the whole time. So who knows? Maybe they're sleeping. Maybe they're sleeping. Um, birds do that unless they're synthetic. <laughs> and then I don't know what they do. Um, yeah. The him saving Deckard. I don't know if I would say it's him like valuing Deckard's life. Mm -hmm. but Maybe I it's don't selfish know. that he wants, because his whole 
speech, his whole monologue is that he's seen these things, he's lived this life, and now all of those memories are lost in time like tears in the rain. If he keeps Deckard alive and then shares that moment with him and tells him a little bit of his story, then maybe those memories will be imparted to Deckard and not be lost. That's how I take it. I take it as just the memory of Roy as Mm -hmm. a being of some sort. I think that's why he saves Roy. Very carefully trying not to call him a person. (laughs) (laughs) He's a being of some sort. He's an entity. Damn it. Um, (laughs) I, I take the ending like that where he's, he's trying to just have, one last memory of him mm-hmm. after he's gone so that he's not lost in the, yeah. in the rain. That's um, not all for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I take it. I could be wrong. Um, I think that's smart. Honestly, I think it, I think it fits Roy, but you've said a few times that it's like him kind of uh, cherishing like Deckard's life like trying to find Mm -hmm. some kind of cherishment. And uh, I don't know. You could be right. You could. Yeah. I just connect that to his drive to extend his time Mm -hmm. frame, his life that as that wine, as you continue to not be able to do that and you hear that clock ticking in your mind, I imagine you would, or you should, or I would start, cherishing those moments or cherishing life or also hoping for other people to be able to cherish those lives. But that's probably my human empathy to want the best for those other people oh, yeah. them to learn, learn from my mistakes or anything like that. And uh, it's, yeah, it's entirely possible. He may not have any of that. We'll never know. Cause everything I was trying to find out, like what, why did he save Deckard? Seems uh, everyone has their own ideas, and you and I kind of like encapsulate a lot of the ideas that I was coming across. Okay, so that's kind of funny. Maybe it's a combination of all of it. I don't know. I guess it's also that I always enjoy when it's open to interpretation yeah. as well. That the less clear cut it is on the screen, the more people talk about it and think about it and imagine what it could be or find deeper meanings than they probably would have ever had Mm -hmm. put on the page. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, it's so anticlimactic, but to me, it's such a great, like punctuation on the whole scene after the monologue and the, Mm -hmm. the lost like tears in the rain, which is God, that is such like perfect. (laughs) It's, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> that is perfect dialogue right there. Thank you, Rucker Howard. Um, yeah. But when he's just sitting there and he just like matter of factly is like time to die and mm. then does it like yeah. to me, it's such a great finale, like <laughs> punctuation finale. Just that's it. And I, I love mm. the close up of Deckard where he's just like, he has that look of like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Why was I forced to sit here and witness this? Witness this. Why didn't he kill me? Why did he save me? Mm. More importantly, like he just chased me through the whole building. Yeah. Also, this is a sounding weird guy. crazed. I mean, he was <laughs> <Yeah>. howling. <laughs> slammed his head through a bathroom wall. He slammed his head through a bathroom. He broke his fingers, then gave him the gun back. Like, yeah. Which we skipped over that, but that's okay, people. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then Gaff like magically shows up again, which is also yeah, just pick- the times that Gaff shows up mm-hmm. are so random. You had to be like, following him. It, yeah, you had to have been watching. You had to have been observing yeah. and close by too. Right. Yeah, I think Blade Runner is definitely a lot like so many of the other sci-fi robot slash human movies of like the eighties and early nineties of trying to just get caution, the -hmm. importance of caution Mm -hmm. out there, trying to get a wide group of people to understand that like proceeding with caution is you need to constantly do that sometimes. Like, yeah. Everyone likes the idea of, well, you got to just dive into it. That's okay when it's stuff that's not like potentially going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and you don't know yeah. that until you maybe think a little further ahead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Come on, people. Some of you doing this AI shit, you're supposed to be smart. Uh, right. You're kind of coming across as crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole Jurassic Park thing where they didn't stop to ask if they could, or if they should. should, Yeah, yeah, they only stopped. They only thought about if they could. Yeah, (laughs) Ian Malcolm, per usual, was right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I I genuinely love like Blade Runner. I I think it's a very interesting movie. I think it I'm glad this might sound weird, but I'm kind of glad it was not the biggest hit in the box office. Cause I feel like yeah. the fan base and its appeal has just been more appreciated or it's a little bit more meaningful because yeah. it wasn't the biggest box office hit. Uh, right. The right people found it in the right way. Yeah. Uh, Granted, the right time would have been a nice thing to have in that same vein, but I guess that's not happening. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can't have it all. <laughs> but it is a good movie. It's so weird to me because we mentioned it earlier of like, you can tell when a cast is genuinely enjoying making the movie and it comes mm-hmm. across in their performance. Harrison Ford does a great job as Deckard. And it's so weird to know how miserable he was and how much him and Ridley Scott just did not like (laughs) each other at all. Um, Yeah. And how he hated the whole production design of the movie. And, but then you watch the movie and you're like, but it fits like this works. It's a good movie. I'm not getting any, like, I, f- I don't feel like you hated working on it. I feel like yeah. you probably got enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And the thing I get from watching behind the scenes and documentaries and stuff is that Harrison Ford is a complete 
professional mm-hmm. that he he will show up know his lines do all the important things and also he's really good at what he does like he he like um i forget the girl that plays rachel sean somebody she uh was pretty new to it and so he would always here's how you stand here's where your light is here's yeah. like you need to be aware of this you need to be aware of the camera you need to be aware of like all of this stuff he knows all of that and he's very intelligently performing every little thing he does yeah whether he cares about the story or content or whatever it doesn't really matter he's still gonna do the best job possible yeah and that man seeing interviews with him with like indiana jones and stuff and just movies in general that guy i think Mm -hmm. he has hit that moment in his life i feel like he's always been a pretty humble dude and just a matter of fact kind of dude um he's never struck me as someone that's not going to beat around the bush, but he'll do it in a very, yeah, it's very direct, direct, but not like a harsh way. He's just direct. Um, yeah. But seeing interviews with him these days, it's so much fun because he's so humble about so much. And he's like, I guess I've never really appreciated how much he actually just enjoys telling stories Mm, yeah and hearing interviews with him where he talks about like that's what this whole career has been is just i get to tell stories i get to create characters and that's so much fun and i appreciate that i think that's really just he's 80 years old and he's just always been set out to just (laughs) create stories like he just wants to have fun i think that's cool Yeah, I do too. Uh, yeah, I respect the hell out of them. Oh, so much. Thank you, Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't have too much left on on Blade Runner. Do you? I yeah, I think I think we covered the important things. Do we cover both of your important? Oh, hundred percent. <laughs> Make sure we got to the second one. The second one yeah, was just I, the the tears in the rain. Yeah, because I I feel that's just the most important part of the movie. I feel like it carries all the weight of the film. uh, Yeah, and it's just so perfect. It's a brilliant piece of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The whole movie, I think, is really just a beautiful thing, and and I just love how it feels and the experience of it and everything. I love the world. I liked the the sci-fi detective noir style. I think it's really cool. I think it was unique for that time. I feel Mm -hmm. like we don't get a lot of it, if really any. Um, Or maybe I just haven't paid enough attention. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I think that the slow pacing of it is really set up just for you to experience the visuals and how it feels. And I think that's... I think the pacing in Blade Runner is important to that particular story. Yeah. I think if yeah. they had tried to rush it or make it more action packed or whatever, I think it could have actually ended up being kind of a crappy movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and going into our, our next episode, uh, I am very happy that they maintain that kind of pacing style instead of trying to like rush. Right. Yeah. I think they definitely add more, they add more of everything 
but it still maintains what Blade Runner is. And that's why I love it a lot. And I think that's why, partly why it's even better than the first one. It maintains the, everything that worked adds more to it, not just visually Mm -hmm. and actiony and stuff, but also philosophically asks new questions. The next. Oh, it challenges you even more. Yeah. And I'm fully aware, like (laughs) I will be, Face to face with my paradox, even more so. <laughs> when we talk, you're taking notes. I'm like, Dustin, you said Not right. Yeah, like, you said, like, kill them all, and here you are <laughs> trying to defend Dave Batista. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into that. <laughs> Have you watched all of the like the stuff that came out around 2049, like the 20? 38 no the short short clip short film stuff there's like an anime thing 2022 never watched any of that okay i'm gonna try to watch it and then i'll let you know how it is okay (laughs) (laughs) so yeah next time we're doing blade runner 2049 i think everyone has to have seen it i say that because i feel like it became such a huge hit but i was shocked to learn that it also failed at the box office like the original Blade Runner. It like it was big, but yeah, it was not as not massive as everyone had been. hoped or expected yeah. it to be. Um which is kind of appropriate for like following in its footsteps right. original, but also disappointment. I kind of have an idea of that, but we can talk about that next week. Um Yeah. Because I think there was like a well, we'll get into it next week. I'll, I'll yeah, hold, save it. Hold off. <laughs> um, yeah, Blade Runner. Like, if you have not actually just watched Blade Runner as a film, highly recommend you do. And I, mm. I do recommend you watch the final cut. <laughs> yeah, <I do> too. <laughs> and yeah, just go into it with no expectations. Just let the movie kind of wash over you with what it is—the soundtrack, the visuals experience all of it and how it makes you feel i think is the best way to go into it yeah and i know you're excited because it's by one of your favorite directors of like all time so i i'm excited to hear you talk about just (laughs) his ramp up of the world and the scope that he uh he widens uh i'm excited to hear you talk about that so yeah i'm extremely excited about 2049 yeah all right i think that's I think basically that's all we have yeah watch it's late now so you can tell we're both like time. oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah watch 2049 yeah, exactly um uh yeah it's past my we got we got cool shit and yeah by that um, get merch follow thank us you everyone for listening and watching subscribe yeah, hit that hit that subscribe button. Um, I've noticed we've gotten a lot of followers based on a really funny reel that you posted pertaining to Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to me. So I'm in my kitchen doing the dishes, just having Seinfeld going on my phone. And that scene came up and that idea came to me. And I was like, I'll make a funny little video meme about this. Uh, clip from Seinfeld and then I don't know a day later this Instagram re- the 10 second Instagram reel has been viewed 35,000 times oh, right. for a total <laughs> length of like 88 hours and 44 minutes and I'm like I can't even believe that that's pretty wild but and that's I'm cool. like 
Florence pubes pubes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny if you haven't seen the real because it's about it's how, about uh, Florence Pugh is naked in Oppenheimer. Yeah. And uh, there's a Seinfeld clip that comments on that. And so, yeah, calling her Florence Pubes is pretty funny. <laughs> it works. I have no shame right now. Uh, yeah, I had to laugh. And when I started seeing, like, they start following you based on this reel, based on this reel, I was like, cool. Wait. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, well, we haven't really done any episodes about that topic, but maybe we should. That would be an interesting one. <laughs> that would be a real top 10 most awkward nude scenes. <laughs> Could be a funny one. Yeah. We we got yeah. some ideas already in the can. We'll come oh, we have a, lot, a whole year's worth. All right, everyone. Thank you again. Subscribe. Do all that good stuff. I know it, it helps us out a lot. Keep yeah. getting the word out. I guess you 35,000 people, if you manage to stick around for <laughs> three hours instead of 10 seconds, um, you know, welcome. Tell, tell more people and welcome. We appreciate uh, you. Yeah. So and enjoy, we'll guys. Uh, let us know what you love about Blade Runner in 2049 as well. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or if you're still under the, the delusion that Deckard is not a replicant. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's people debated it for a long time. I'm sure I there know. are people that believe it strongly on yeah. our side. I want to hear from you guys. So yeah. thank you again, and we'll see you soon. All right. See you next time.